Hey guys, just want to let you know that this was all made possible and we're sponsored by MTG Matchmaker. If you ever try to get a spell table game going, can't find enough players, whether it's on the Playlay Discord or any other various webcam MTG discords out there, you know, try MTG Matchmaker. It's the first crossplay server webcam matchmaking Discord bot, and it's a 100% free tool. It queues players across all installed Discord servers so you can keep your Discord community, but you can still connect with players from others. Originally, it was designed for just EDH, but they've expanded into other popular formats, including our beloved Pioneer and Modern. To learn more, you can go on their Twitter at MTG Matchmaker, or you could also join their Discord, which we have available in the description below. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad. And I'm joined by Alex. Alex, say something. Something. Hooray. We're here. We're we're happy to be here. And we are going to be going over some challenges and stuff. Uh, going to give a quick warning. This episode will not be out until a week from now. Because today is currently July 19th on a Monday, and we are still in the process of releasing our top five uh, Strixhaven. Wait, no, not Strixhaven. That was the other set. Our top five D and D. That we'd be very far behind <laughs> if we were still working on that one. It's like, guys, we got two months worth of backlog. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that talking about challenges of last week, which were two months earlier. <laughs> uh, we'll have the D and D top five along with Adrian. Uh, that should be out this Friday. July 24th, um, 23rd. So we can't just talk about that freely because at least we'll release them in order. So it's not out yet, but by the time people listen to this, it will be. Exactly. So just saying, if you're listening to this, you're listening to past Brad and Alex, which, you know, that's kind of what you're always doing is listening to past Brad and Alex. Yeah. But this is further in the past, Brad I and Alex. <laughs> I think it's I think it's about time. And we've got a couple of weeks to go in the summer. We might maybe we could squeeze in a live one. Yeah. Right, because the live one went extremely long. Yeah, but I've got time. You're like Mr. Incredible. We could do yeah, a live I've got one. Time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great meme, except not in that shape. Oh man, my more permanent state is like Mr. Incredible in that scene from The Incredibles Two, where he's like, "Math is math," with that meme. Like that is more my permanent <laughs> state than the rest of Mr. Incredible. Math is math. Why are they trained? Dude, okay, so as someone who works in education, I see that shit all the time. Where like you have math teachers that are like, you need to do it this way or else it's wrong. And I'm like, but they got it the right way. Like I'd cover a math class, like subbing, and um they'd be like, Yeah, Mr. Ashley, I have to do it, you have to do it this way when we're going over the lesson. And I do it the way I'm used to. And I'm like, why? They're like, because that's how you get it right. And I'm like, okay, give me two seconds. And I keep I keep doing the way I'm doing it. And I'm like, hey, is this correct? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, cool. Does it <laughs> fucking matter that I did it a different way? A way that takes nine less steps than the way you're taught for some fucking reason? So stupid. Like, just, it's math. I mean, there's, there's some logic to understanding all the steps so that you don't just learn the shortcut and then don't actually understand the steps behind it so there is some merit to it i mean whatever no fucking uh, the worst it is like it's like shoving like finding a 10 year old is shoving a piece of literature in their hands it's like you should probably start a little bit easier even though they'll probably be able to read this hey uh, jokes on you 
any reading level is considered literature. You can analyze any piece of literature, no matter how uh, easy it is to read. Fair enough. All right, we we have a differentiation between what we consider, what we call literature in Dutch, and what we don't. I don't know how that is in the States. But for us, it's basically, if it's old and boring, then people will call it literature, and otherwise it's but not. But that's not the actual definition of literature. I mean, that that's usually what you refer to as literature when you're going over as far as studies are concerned, but realistically, the definition of literature is just pieces of writing. I know, but Dutch education about learning Dutch is awful. We have created a culture in which we actively discourage children to read. And then we're like, why don't children read anymore? And then we look at the rest of Europe and we are like the country where children read the least. <laughs> and then we look at the way we teach Dutch as like seeing how German children learn German. It's like, wow, we are really fucking boring about this and make it really uninteresting for everybody involved. I think and then they don't want to change it because this is the way that we've been doing. It's awful. If you look at high school level for English, one of the first things you go over, like one of like the actual first like book reports you do are like extensive studies of literature. Because um, you kind of do it in, in middle school, but it's a bit more language-based of like understanding grammar with some literature thrown in. High school is when you actually start actually going over real literature and analyzing it. We go over the Iliad and the Odyssey is typically what you go for freshman year. And, like, that's a great one to get people interested in reading. Like, the Iliad and Odyssey is so cool. It's such a good book. It's, you know, it's it's the uh, Homer's epic and shit. Um, but, yeah. I don't know. We we start with, in Dutch, we start with, uh, like, our, like, sort of first real literature. You have to read is Van den Vos Reinaarde, which is basically, like, our version of Robin Hood, but then really not fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's, I, I had a teacher so I, I have pretty much always hated reading I kind of enjoyed it in primary school but I just liked video games a lot more and then I got a teacher and she was completely awful uh, she was just a bad teacher she wasn't a bad person but she was just an extremely bad teacher and I told her this like we have to read for all these lists of, but I just really hate reading I, I hate how slow it is and I just never get into it and she's like oh no I know the type of book for you and it was a book by Harry Mulish. He's the man who wrote Discovery, The Discovery of Heaven. Mm -hmm. You might have seen the movie with Stephen Fry. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but he also wrote like other stories, of course. And one, and I, I said, like, I find books kind of slow. So she's like, oh, I know a book for you. And it started set in World War II. And the process of, all right, this is what happens. They're sitting at a table. They're playing a board game. A German dude knocks on the door because it's a uh, uh, Razia, and he like hides under the stairs. It takes this fucker fifteen pages to explain this, and I'm like, I told you I don't like reading because I find it slow, and you give me this. <laughs> so I was immediately done with it again, and she's like, I came back like a week later in class. Like, did you read it? It's like, of course I didn't. What, <laughs> dude? Okay, there's a. Like, also, Discovery of Heaven is one of the first few movies where I like, well, I didn't walk out. I was sent out in class. My God. Because it's partially set in Rome. And we sort of had our classes split in two. So we had like more like art people. We could pick between two subjects. And one was more art based and one was more like ancient history based. Even though I did art class too, I have no idea why I picked the art one. I should have 100% picked the ancient history one. But it's because the art one was easier. And I was lazy as fuck 
in secondary school. Uh, for the record, secondary school for us runs between the ages of about 12 to 18. We call that secondary school. Yeah. Um, and um, so they're like, and our Dutch teacher was like, well, because half the class is out in Rome, because they actually went to Rome for ancient history one. We went to modern ballet that was so bad that I laughed my ass off so hard and pissed off half the theater. It's probably a story for another time. Um, and so they were like, we're going to watch Discovery of Heaven. And the movie was so bad that I just started laughing and I will send out a class. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, and, I, and I got to go to like the break room and just like chill for an hour. And it's like, I don't think this counts as punishment. I don't know. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Like I, I, like, <laughs> I never view kicking someone out of my class. She, she told me to leave. It's like, go where? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, wherever. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I've, whenever I've done that as a teacher, which I've done that plenty of times, where I'm like, yeah, you can get the fuck out, dude. I don't want you in here. I don't do that as punishment. I do that for my benefit because I, I don't feel like dealing with the fucking kid. Like if they're being disruptive and I try talking to him, whatever, I'm like, yo, dude, let's chill out. Let's bring it back a little bit. And it just keep, becomes a problem more and more and more and more. I'm like, okay, cool. Get out. Just just get out. Sit in the hallway. Don't give a fuck. That's it. Is it punishment for them? Not really. They're just sitting out there. They'll, they'll, more often than not, they actually end up doing their work because they take their laptop out there and they put in their headphones and they actually, because they're bored, no one to talk to, no one to get attention from, they do their work. <laughs> they just fucking do it. But don't they just take their phone with and they go like on, on TikTok or whatever and then they don't do anything? Uh, no, because um, if, because there are teachers and principals that wander the halls and if they get caught with their phone, it's taken immediately. Oh, yeah, but, like, we don't have that type of thing. Ah. So you just get sent out in the hole and you just chill. Yeah, no, they'll actually do it. Like, it was basically like getting an extra break. If we got sent out of class... Now, this got to sound like I'm a terrible student who regularly got sent out of class. I was actually a good student in secondary school. But um, if we actually got kicked out of class, it was basically like getting an extra recess. Yeah. I was like, sure, I'll just... And we had people who almost purposely got themselves kicked out so they would, like, have more time to chill. It was so stupid. I Even though our school was built in a circle, <laughs> so you could literally have teachers just walk around once every five minutes, and we always had like four or five teachers on break. So every half an hour, you could do one walk around the school, which took literally two minutes because it was a small school, but no one ever bothered to do it. I was not a good student. I tell my students this all the time because like we just had summer camp and summer school finish up, which is what I've been working during the summer. And I've been covering the middle school um, credit recovery courses, which are the kids that like failed a course during the year and they have to like retake something and like to be basically pass for that year and not get retained. And I flat out told him like, look, the way y'all act, the shit y'all do, the amount of work you do, I was just as bad, if not worse. But you know what the difference was? I did the absolute bare minimum required to pass. So I didn't fail. Do you think I wanted to be at summer school? Fuck no. Hell no. No. Ever. <laughs> Never was at summer school. You know why? Because I would just not do the homework. Ever. Get a zero and all that. Get A's and B's on the quizzes or tests. And then just do enough of the big project at the end of the class to pass with like a C or a D. And here we are. That's it. You can be lazy. Now I'm your teacher. Exactly. <laughs> like, look at that. Now, the lesson you should learn is to not do what I fucking did and actually apply yourself at school. 
because the ability to earn scholarships and things like that for college, because our education system when it comes to higher education is so fucked that you need that ability unless your parents are loaded, which, let's be honest, most of your parents are not. That's why you're here. And uh, yeah, you should probably not fuck around like I did. But if you want to fuck around, you can at least do the bare minimum. Instead, you're here at summer. Get fucked, I guess. Great. But then they're like, well, so are you. Now my, my, my idea was, <laughs> yeah, but you're getting paid. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, for, for, for me, it's always I worked really hard at school, so it justified doing nothing at home. Right? My, most of my years in secondary school, especially because, again, it's, it's total six years for me. Um, the first, I think, three or four years, my life was basically this. I woke up in the morning. If I woke up early enough or, like, school started a bit later, uh, I would, like, play World of Warcraft in the morning. Um, then I would go to school. School would be over. I would come home, play World of Warcraft till dinner, have dinner, and then play World of Warcraft after dinner. And this occasionally got swapped for different games. And that was basically what I did. So I had to... and But at school... I couldn't play World of Warcraft, so might as well put in the work. And then I never did anything at home. So I justified, like, I have to work hard at school because I actually, if I actually need to put in effort at home, that means I have less time to play video games. So that's actually why I worked at school. Speaking of video games, I have an idea. So you and I have talked a bit off cast, Alex, about um, potentially doing the, uh, the live one again. I think you just even mentioned it so far that while we've been recording today. Um, yeah. You know how we could do a live one this time? Since it's most likely just going to be me and you, we'll get into a call, we'll load up the stream, you and I are going to load up Arena, and we're going to play really janky decks 1v1, or even like historic brawl, and just fuck around and answer questions while we're doing that. That's kind of cool. Let's do that. That sounds really fun. You know, I don't have anything else to spend my one billion wild cards on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, we can we can play Pioneer versus each other in 1v1 and just make what... Because we can make Pioneer legal decks through Historic and play test them, right? Like, you can... I, I'm pretty sure pretty much all of uh, Demir is legal, but Dig Through Time is the only thing that's not. That's a big thing, though, yep. unfortunately. And Notion Thief in your sideboard. That's true. But hey, maybe by the time we actually do this live recording, we'll have Notion Thief in Historic. <laughs> I mean, they, for all we know, in about five minutes, they're about to drop Historic Anthology 6, and it's in it. Yeah, like all the commands were in the last one. You know what would be hilarious? What? Historic Anthology 6 featuring Hole Breacher. I would laugh my ass off if that happens. <laughs> yeah. Legal Historic Brawl. <laughs> oh my. But then Sorcerer's Spyglass is, is, is banned in Brawl. <laughs> Like, you're... Wait, what? Yeah, it is. Because it can disable people's commander if it has activated abilities? Yeah. Imagine playing interactions your commander works. This reminds me of that tweet you sent me of the guy who said he instantly scoops if his opponent casts one counter spell because that's not what magic is. <laughs> yeah, I put him on blast on Twitter too. I, <laughs> I, My caption was like, are magic players okay? <laughs> Spoiler, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Speaking of magic and magic players, Brad, I think it's about, uh, I mean, we've, we've been on for about 15 minutes, so I think this is about a healthy time that we start transitioning into uh, actually talking about magic. That's fair. So we had challenges. You know, we, we recently heard that some people actually like our ramblings, so we're a little bit looser on getting to the nitty gritty as fast as possible. That's true. I also keep looking at this 
painting of Michelangelo devouring his pizza, and it's it's making me giggle. The fact that you didn't say that it was the Ninja Turtle Michelangelo makes the mental image even funnier for me. Exactly, you can you can paint it however you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we actually have um, we're even though we're recording on Monday, we did actually have the weekend's challenges in, which. Good job, Watsy. Which is fucking phenomenal. Holy shit. We fi- How many times we've been like, it's Wednesday. Where are the challenges? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like we want to record Monday and we're like, but the challenges aren't in yet. So we need to like scrap them together via Twitter. They're, this is so yeah. much better. Like, yeah. please keep this up, right? They're feeding the, the Dequest guy. Yeah, exactly. They're back to like working in the office again. And like the lunch lady finally got the memo and she's there now. So they can feed the interns who don't get paid. Anyway, so we had the Saturday <laughs> challenge. The trolley lady. Um, which, I mean, <laughs> anything for the trolley, dear? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll take the lot. <laughs> fucking Harry with his rich ass fucking piece of shit. Fuck you. You know, you know, Ron felt like shit at that moment. Like they show him, like, oh my God, wow. Like, no, if I was Ron, I'd be like, wow, what a fuck. What a fuck throwing his money around. <laughs> Think you think you're better than me, don't you? You fucking <laughs> what a preposterous piece of you shit! You half blood cuck. What the fuck, dude. <laughs> uh, only because you got a fucking lightning bolt in your forehead, you piece of shit. Yeah, I could do that too. I'm gonna go to the bathroom right now. Give me a knife. Easy. I can get the same scar. <laughs> Please do not self harm and make a that. fucking Harry Potter scar on your forehead, guys. Please do not do that. No. Uh, anyway, so. This challenge was won by Niftalite. So, Brad, same old, same old, Brad. I'm, I'm sure there is nothing new here. AFR didn't do anything. We, ju- we just see Niv. What the hell, Brad? Uh, yeah, so we talked to... Um, I talked to Sean uh, on the Discord, and he's been, like, scouring through uh, AFR to see if there's anything new. He's like, this all sucks for Niv. Nothing's good. And uh, here they are, uh, just coming back and winning again. Um, they've actually dropped Vanishing Verse to two. They brought up they brought Abrupt Decay back in, um, and then they're running Utter End again. Uh, so this looks like an old build. Like we see Tulsimir. Uh, you, there's the one of Valky, of course, for Bring to Light. A uh, one of Oath of Kaya. Like it feels like we went backwards four months, and we're back to uh, these old Niv decks. But they still. Look, it's still a good deck. It has its day where it just randomly wins. And it uh, it had a interesting matchup in the finals, too. I will say I was kind of joking because there's multiple decks in this challenge powered by Adventures in the Forgotten Realm cards. But not Niv. I was just joking that... No, not Niv. But the challenge has plenty to give. Yes. And the same for the one after. Um, so again, one by Niv. It's literally same old, same old. Uh, probably uh, the surprising, somewhat surprising thing we see in the sideboard. We see some like returning oldies but goodies. Uh, Fatal pushes, Gruel charm, very good for the spirits matchup. Um, so that's obviously a sweet one. But aside from that, nothing too special. A couple of things again. Considering spirits, we're seeing Shadows Verdict, for example, as a sweeper. Uh, which is actually strangely better against spirits than some four mana sweepers because they can be picked up by Spellqueller and the exile works around selfless spirit. So I experienced the same thing when I played Hour of Devastation as my sweeper, 
where it's like this plays around all the build-in counterplay spirits has in game one except mausoleum wanderer and lofty so mausoleum wanderer and and lofty obviously uh but like mausoleum wanderer actually becomes like super scary in this matchup because you're like oh no oh no <laughs> that is the counterplay to my one thing <laughs> oh no oh no oh no and then we see second place enigmatic fires with three copies of Moonblast Druid. That's a hit for me, baby! Let's go! Hell yeah, brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to our top five, uh, which again, should be out by now, uh, you'll notice that number three of my top five was Moonblast Cleric. Yeah! That's me. Got the hit, baby. Let me get the round of applause. Alex, why are you not clapping for me? <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> He's like, I demand you to clap for <laughs> I'm, me. I'm a Jed Bush. Where he's like, please, please because, clap. <laughs> like, please clap for me because Sir Epic probably DM'd me his list. You're like, man, this looks good with Moonblast Druid. And that's why you put it in your top five. It was five. already in, baby. He messaged me. Okay, he, okay. Okay, look, he did message me. I'm not going to lie about that. He did. But all that did was affirm me going, this is not number four. This is number three. <laughs> That's it. That's the only change he encouraged. <laughs> okay, okay. This deck, this deck is fucking. I look. So we we talk about like decks that we like, right? And I like Kethis, of course. We've talked about it plenty of times. And the reason I like Kethis and things like Hero Precinct One stuff like that, I love decks that encourage so many lines of play. But this deck has that and more, and it's just. I haven't I haven't tried piloting it yet because I'm frankly intimidated by it. <laughs> I don't, I'm like afraid to try to. Also, um, Lithoform Blight is hilarious tech against the Angels deck. Oh, you're right. Huh. We'll talk about the Angels deck coming up, but I'm sure people have already seen it run around a bit. We obviously, we are lacking behind a little bit because we already had the online release a while ago. Uh, we had the Invitational for Pioneer. Uh, which was not played on uh, adv with Adventures in the Forgotten Realms cards because we go by paper release date because we do play over paper uh, paper magic. Um, by the time this recording is there, you might be able to see my invitation run on the Playway YouTube channel. We do actually have one um, because we weren't able to broadcast it, but I have recorded me playing through it. Um, I mean... How much can I spoil? I mean, you'll see me play a bunch of rounds of Pioneer. And um, that allows you to get a bit of a sneak peek in. Anyway, so I haven't gone super deep into Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. I have a couple of brews, but I haven't been able to play any of them yet. But I I mean, I was thinking after the recording tonight, but we've been talking for like two hours before we started recording, so I'm probably going... Might play like a game of Smite and then I go to bed. Anyway, so... I think this deck is like pretty sweet, but this is the typical Epic has sent me numerous lists and my main response when I see Anigmatic Fires lists is just like, I don't know, dude, looks cool. I don't have a clue what to say about these decks. I can call these. They are such piles. They're like, yeah, Scarab God is a good card. I like it. I also like Scarab God. I don't know if that should be another five drop. I haven't looked at every five drop in this game because I have other things to do with my life. <laughs> but this deck is super sweet, but super hard to pilot. Um, it is pretty much the only way you can play Fires in Pioneer at the moment. 
because we don't see the other fire stacks show up at all again. Like they're they're kind of dead. But this is a really good fire stack. It also turns out if you can search up creatures and enchantments, your sideboard gets really weird. There is a Golos in here. What do you bring that in against? There's a Golos in the sideboard, a Crawl Harpooner, yep. an Acquisition Expert, which is basically Burglar Rat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, dude. It's a wishboard, basically. It's really odd. It's like a wishboard without having wish cards. Yeah. Uh, also worth noting that um, but I mean, no wish so far. Your deck kind of wishes for stuff. No, no, true. No wish. No one's been doing it. In a, now we'll see. Uh, we'll see the hidden strings deck later, as Goldfish calls it. Yeah, so. that's stupid. Modern, however, Modern's uh, Lotus combo that still has access to Underworld Breach. They're playing some copies of Wish now. So I was correct in my top five, but on uh, on the wrong format. <laughs> <laughs> so far, maybe maybe they'll adapt. I still think Wish is really good. I mean, it kind of makes more sense there because if you constantly recur Wish. Um, with Underworld Breach, you do start caring a lot about the discount because it's not one mana, but it's potentially two, three, four, five mana, depending on how often you recur. And typically when you're wishing for something in that deck with Underworld Breach, you're wishing for lesser cost of cards. You're either getting a copy of Underworld Breach that you have the fourth copy in the sideboard uh, to avoid things like Surgical Extraction. Um, you're also probably getting like a Tome Scour to recur, just mill your opponent out to go for that loop. Um, so instead of wishing for something expensive, like you typically do in the Pioneer version, that you have to cast the same turn that you cast Wish, and you can't hold on to it, you're going from a three-mana card to like a one- or two-mana card in Modern, which, with things like Mana Morphos and abilities to just cheat on mana, that makes a lot more sense there. So, Yeah. Then in third place, we have Demir Control. Seeing Ashok show up um, is a card we see how see show up in this deck from time to time we see a reasonable amount of blonde and black aggro and this card is pretty good against it actually come to think of it i might start running this card in my sideboard because i played against a lot of mono black oh you should um, this is such in the a Pioneer good card. and i was like i want a permanent based way of dealing with aggro better but i hate Kalidas. this might be a cool one i mean they also play two Kalidas on the side but anyway kind of what you would what you would expect we're seeing um, Shadow's Verdict, that's Sweepers, Extinction Event, Hieroglyphic Illumination, Counterspell, Fatal Pushes, Clint Dusts, shark turn, shark, uh, Sharknadoes, and Dick Through Times. The usual suspects. Nothing too exciting in these artboards. I mean, oh god, they're running Thought Distortion in the board. Now I'm also going to have to deal with that card out of control mirrors. Weren't looking forward to it. Anyway, the real excitement we find on the fourth place deck. Brat, what is it? By Giggy. I think it's a great name. It's Selesnia Angels. For some reason, Goldfish thinks it's uh, Bant. Uh, there are no blue cards in this bitch at all. None. <laughs> so it's Selesnia. Now, it's essentially mono white. If you look at the main deck, Alex, do you see any green cards in the main deck? Go, go. It's just one. That's it. Good old collected cards. It's the same thing with, you know, spirits being Bant. It's, uh, Literally Azorius splashing green to run Coco. And then maybe sometimes they have some Bant cyborg, I'm sorry, uh, green cyborg cards, like um, the uh, big-ass spirit, the one drop. What, what am I thinking of from uh, Eldritch Moon? Permeating Mass. I did it. I figured it out. I'm blanking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we see kind of like that in this deck. 
and it is Angel Tribal. So you see, pretty cool sweep of uh, creatures. You start out with the one drop, Speaker of the Heavens. You guys have definitely seen this if you've been playing like Life Gain in uh, Historic, if because they have access to uh, you know uh, Soul Sisters, or at least half of the Soul Sisters. Um, it's a one drop, one one with Vigilance and Life Link. You can tap, create a four four White Angel uh, creature token. With flying, activate this ability only if you have at least seven life or more during, uh, or starting, wow, more than your starting life total. Holy shit. That, that's a very texty uh, card. Anyway, then you have Bishop. This is for, they word it this way for Commander. Yeah. Because Sarah's Ascendant says if your life total is above 30, which means in Commander it's a 6x on turn one. Yeah, which is silly. Um, then you have Bishop of Wings which I had the pleasure of reading someone in our own uh, Pioneer uh, channel on the Playaway Discord say that, oh my God, Bishop of Wings is broken. <laughs> I love seeing new players in the community uh, just like evaluate cards because like you just think everything's broken when you're, when you're newer to a format. Yeah. Um, it's a two it's a two mana, one four, double white, human cleric. Whenever an angel enters the battlefield under your control, you gain four life. Whenever an angel you control dies, create a one one spirit uh, creature token with flying. So, I've always had an issue with this card. Um, my issue is the flavor. Aren't angels supposed to be like, you know... Yeah, they don't really come back as spirits, do they? Yeah, like they're already a higher power, so to speak. Like you're already beyond that sense of um, uh, the mortal realm, I guess. So why would it become a spirit? If an angel died, I'd imagine it would cease to exist as far as uh, like a soul yeah. or something goes. So whatever. It would almost just have to say, if an angel you control dies, exile one instead. <laughs> yeah. Just... Um, but a nice little aspect of life gain. And then we've, and then just the best angel. Metallic Mimic. Metallic Mimic. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is still super expensive for some reason. It's like 10 bucks a piece. Uh, but it's a two mana artifact shapeshifter creature for as a 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. It is the chosen creature type in addition to its other types. Each other creature you control with a chosen type enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Um, yeah, makes sense. There's not very many... Like, okay, Alex and I went over the... Uh, we went on Scryfall and looked at, in all of Pioneer, in across all colors, how many angels there are that are cocoable, being three mana or less. Alex, do you remember how many there were? Nine. There are nine. All of them mostly bad. Uh... Eight of the nine actually coming into Magic's history over the last two years since War of the Spark, starting with Feather. So, cool. So, of course, you had to find a way to get another one in there that's Cocobo, and Metallic Mimic is the one. You have Youthful Valkyrie, which is a two-mana, one-three angel that was actually not in the main set of Kaldheim. It's in the extra-themed uh, boosters for white. Um... Which, when we saw this card, I remember we talked about it during spoiler season, we expected to see more Valkyrie-type angels like this in the set. Yeah, I, I was very happy to see Valkyries as a really clever way of printing low CMC angels. Because the problem we've had with angels, it's the same with dragons. And we've seen some attempts at it in Tarkir. And we actually saw a couple of cards that do this in uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms too is that it's hard to build dragon tribal because it's hard to design cheap dragons. And angels has the same problem. Demons has the same problem, especially because in magic, devil and demon are two creature types where usually, I mean, this is why we see, I think Rakdos 
the showstopper. I think it says imps, devils, and demons or something. So it kind of shows that curve upwards. But with Valkyries, they've decided to not name them Valkyries and have all these old cards not interact. They're just like, yeah, these are angels. Yeah. It's a great way to fill out the curve. Well, I mean, it would have been a great way until they literally only had like two Valkyries of lower lower cost. But yeah, I was... It happens. But this is a good one. It's an angel. Whenever another angel enters the battlefield, you put a counter on her. Uh, it's a 1-3, and she has flying. So this is like your um, uh, Johnny's Pride Mate, essentially, in a life gain deck, except it's just every angel triggers it. I mean, I mean, the, the cool thing about this is, is that a lot of these cards, like uh, we'll see the next one, Resplendent Angel, also makes angels. So Youthful Valkyrie becomes extremely quick, uh, extremely big, really quickly. Obviously not like Pride made big, but this card does have evasion. So the moment this is like a 4-7, a 4-6, this card is already super scary. Where, like, a 6-6 six, six Pride Mate is occasionally, like, I don't care. I've got, like, a 1-1 one, one Death Touch. This card doesn't do anything. And speaking of Resplendent Angel, Alex, what is the one thing I always say when we talk about vampires and we bring up the idea of random, decent mythics from core sets? What do I always say about them? They're really expensive? They're really expensive for no fucking reason. <laughs> random core set mythics always go up in price, which is why I'm saying before the... Uh, the uh, what is the name of the vampire set? It's like Crimson Moon or something. Crimson Blood. It's really cool sounding. Um, anyway, before that comes out this fall, get your Sorens if you have any interest in vampires at all. Because look at Resplendent Angel. It's a play set for ninety five dollars. Does it see play anywhere besides this deck here in Pioneer and I guess Commander? No, no. Is this is this a Legacy All Star, Alex? Is this a Vintage All Star? I know it doesn't see clearly doesn't see playing modern, but it's ninety five bucks for a playset because it's a random, good enough mythic. So, remember, when core sets come out, please buy your playsets early on while they're standard legal for all the mythics. I really truly believe that when all the mythics are like two dollars a piece. I mean, like nickel nickel bolus is ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Even though it only is like cool in commander, where it can only be a one off because it's commander and it's not even played in modern or pioneer mm -hmm. and it wasn't even that good in standard no it was good in standard but not like an all-star in standard and the card never is has gone below like 30 bucks yeah so any advice i can give you for you collectors out there always buy your corset mythics you will hit duds i promise most corset corset mythics are gonna stay around five bucks but there's always those one two or three of them out of the 15 total that are obscenely priced so please buy them. Anyway, moving on, we have another new angel, which is Righteous Valkyrie. Res Resplendent Angel was under 10 bucks at the release of Theros Beyond Death. There you go. Look at that. See? See? Now it's approaching 30. It was actually 30 a month or two ago. I guess with the hype of call time. Probably. Um, it already spiked. And then it kind of remained at that high price point. And now it's just, like, stupid. Speaking of Kaldheim, we have another Valkyrie. It's a Righteous Valkyrie, two and a white for a 2-4 Angel Cleric with flying. Whenever another Angel or Cleric enters the battlefield, and notice Bishop of Wings 
and Speaker of the Heavens are clerics. Look at that. Uh, under your control, you gain life equal to that creature's toughness. Not power, toughness, which is really nice because Bishop of Wings is a fucking 1-4. <laughs> as long as you have at least 7 more life than your starting life total, creatures you control get plus 2, plus 2. Sweet. And then the only... I mean, I, I, I talked about this card when Kaldheim came out. Yeah. In the idea of like, and it's it's kind of like come together in this deck. Where it's like if they just keep printing life gain synergy, it is bound to be good at some point. And this card is just a objectively strong card by itself. Yeah, I agree. Right? If we have twenty eight righteous Valkyries in terms of power level, life gain is going to be a good deck because I do think it's probably like the best card in the deck for the life gain theme. This deck is so expensive for no because it's a payoff and an enabler. As opposed to a lot of the other ones that are either enablers or payoffs, this card is both. Yeah, yeah, this this deck is so fucking expensive. Your fucking Bishop of Wings becomes a three six when this is high enough. The best blocker in the game, uh, and then you have the only creature that's not an angel in this deck or or a cleric. It's uh, Skyglove Apparition, just a good card. But it is really good. Yeah, it's a cocoable <laughs> yeah. card, very good. Of course, Coco is there. Alex, there's another four of. That brings this entire deck together. That is a new mythic from Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. And a card that you say, and I say, and Adrian said, is overrated. What is it? Book of the book, sorry. The Book of Exalted Deeds. So, the quick reminder, because it is an unit card. White, 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 so three white. Legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, create a 3-3 three, three angel. And then it says, white, 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 tap, exile it, put a an enlightened counter on target angel and it gains you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game activate only as sorcery yep and what this is the only deck that you can think of that kind of utilizes both of these parts because it's got the mutavolt in the mana base that we talked about with our uh, top five mm -hmm. where you can go turn three this turn four mutavolt animate itself and put this counter on and if your opponent has no way to interact with your Mutavolt at that point as a creature or with lands afterwards, you've won the game. Or at least your opponent can't lose the game, so you just deck them. I mean, you can't lose the game, so you just deck your opponent if, if you don't just beat them. Yeah, and this deck has a very solid beatdown strategy. You have all evasive threats for the most part um, with our flyers. You have Youthful Valkyrie that grows. You have Skyclave to kind of help clear the way. Um, you have just a, a pseudo-lord and Val Righteous Valkyrie. You have Respondent Angel, which is a threat on its own that needs to be dealt with, because once you have the Mana Sync available to dump into that, start making creatures and start making angels to go even wider. You have Metallic Mimic, that is another pseudo-lore that buffs all your angels as they enter the battlefield, so your 4-4s four and our 5-5s five when they come in. You have Speaker of Heavens that just keeps making 4-4s. Four Way easier than you think, because in the combination of Bishop of Wings, uh, Righteous Valkyrie, you have all this like random life gain, you have the Book of Exalted Deeds. You going above... Seven, you're sorting life total is going to be really easy in this deck. And once you do, you start tapping this card, which gives you angels, which will probably give you life. Yeah. So 27 life becomes like 35 life. Yep. Immediately. <sighs> this deck is really cool. And uh, we've talked about it a lot since it's come out. It's been like a couple weeks since we've seen it really pop off initially. I think uh, originally we saw it in the showcase, if I remember correctly. Or, or like the challenge immediately following the showcase, one or the other. Yeah, the, I, I think I think the showcase. No, I think it was actually the challenge after. Yeah, yeah. And this deck suddenly like randomly showed up. I don't know who, but there was someone on Twitter. I think like a team on Twitter. Yeah. That worked on this, and they randomly all took it to the challenge. And I think like two out of three of them or something did like extremely well. And this deck came for most people. This deck came 
basically out of nowhere. Which is funny because all the pieces were there. They just saw Book of Exalted Deeds come out and they're like, well, we have the synergy with the life gain and a random I win button if you need it. Um, now, Alex, we said that this card, the Book of Exalted Deed, uh, is overrated. Um, when I said that, I know, and I, you and Adrian were pretty much the first to disagree with me because I said, I think the first part of the card in a life gain deck could be good enough to run. The overrated aspect is this lock of getting it on a mutable and stuff like that. There's so much to go into it to get it going. And it's so interactable that I don't think it's that good. Are you ready to swallow your words yet on this in your agreement with me on that aspect of this card? I'll say it's better than I gave it credit for because I compared it to Gryphonary. And because this card makes angels, it snowballs with cards like Righteous Valkyrie and Bishop of Wings, which is a part of this card that I definitely under, underrated. Because that one makes you Griffins, which is a useless creature type. And this is relevant creature type, not just... I was like, it's just one one larger than you get with Gryphonary, who cares? And I basically disregarded the combo escap because I think it's way too easy to interact with if people are prepared for it. Um, but I'll say that part is better. So I still think it's overrated. I think this this deck is very exploitable. It's basically what I said when Niv was the top deck. I mean, this isn't even a top deck right now, which is a good deck. Where it's like, I'm not ready to say that Niv is the best deck because I feel like it's super exploitable and people just haven't yet. And I feel similarly about this card. Like, you put Fatal Push in your deck, and this combo aspect is basically dead instantly. Even though you're probably blowing in a lot of their creatures, you're probably gonna be able to sneak in this combo more often than I give it credit for. But we brought this up before the cast we started. Um, Niv, for example, has a harder time deal with it, to deal with this. I saw uh, Claudio on Twitter um, actually started running Teferi, Hero of Dominaria again, just because it is an out to this lock once it's on the battlefield because you could just start exiling permanence if you ultimate your teferi um but like a lot of these decks run abrupt decay if this deck becomes big that just becomes assassin's trophy and i don't see how this matchup is particularly losable from niv's perspective because you're basically playing control this is just a dirtily creature deck this is the typical type of deck where they feel like, oh, my board state is amazing. And you play one sweeper and they're just dead. And, and then they have to fall back on this lock cheese, which you can just interact with, with Assassin's Trophy, Field of Ruin, uh, certain bounce spells, any spell with land destruction, which I know is uncommon, but I feel it's uncommon, but also just underutilized. There's a lot of cards you could put in your deck that just like randomly interact with this. And also just any cheap removal. Fatal Push, Wild Slash, Magma Spray, Scorching Dragon Fire, <laughs> Burning Ants for that matter, um, Heartless Act, Eliminate. Like there are so many cards that will deal with this combo for you and potentially makes your opponent waste six mana on playing this and then cracking it. Actually seven, because they're tapping the Mutavolt to animate itself too. Uh, worth noting that this deck is almost, and out of the 75 cards, completely legal and uh, historic. You'd have to go away from Mutavolt into Faceless Haven, but, uh, which is objectively worse, um, especially with the way that this deck wants to run with lands. 
Aside from it, the whole bunch is. Yeah, right? the entire 60, besides Mutafolt, is legal. And the only thing in the 75 that I don't think is legal is Avon Mind Sensor and Voice of Resurgence. Everything else is legal. So it's kind of. Avon Mind Sensor is legal, right? Is it? Was it in a, a, Wasn't Avon Mind Sensor and Armor Cat Remastered? Uh, Got welcome to the welcome to the age old game of is this card in historic or not? Uh, historic card pool. Let's go look. Um, actually, let me just go to Scryfall. Obviously, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit while you're busy with that. Uh, this deck has some contingencies in the board. For example, the moment there's a Shalai in play, the combo becomes very reliable. <laughs> It is an historic. It was an I'm gonna get remastered. You're right. Which I guess it's a bird wizard. So they had that Ta-da. weird random thing with bird wizards and Avens in Amaket. So I guess it is, it's it is on theme. Oh wait, no, no. Avon Mind Sensor was a reprint in Amaket. Yeah, yeah. It's just flat out in Amaket in general. That's right. I'm looking at the time stress, the time spiral art, and I'm like, there's no way this card's in Amaket. Yeah, you're right. Oh, dude, the art's so much better in, in Amaket too. It is a bird wizard. That's right. I remember. Huh. Yeah. So there's, but overall, this deck always remains. Also, uh, Brad sent me the tweet earlier by who was this tweet that this deck has the most miserable mirror match of all time. Oh, yeah. It by, was by uh, Giglio MTG. Yeah. I'll just describe this board state for everyone. So, both, because this deck doesn't interact with lands itself or creatures for that matter. Um, both, well, it's got Skyclave Apparition. Um, but both players have a Mutavolt with a counter on it. So neither player can lose the game. Um, Giglio, Giglio, did I say correctly? Giglio is at minus 80 life and has a respectable board state of a combined power and toughness of about 30 and flying, I think more, like almost 40, and most of it flies. However, his opponent is at a casual 266 life and has a board state that probably represents about 100 power if not more, and flying. But they both have a Mutavolt that says they can't lose the game. So... Actually, no. Uh, wait, the, yeah, they do. You're right. They do both have a Mutavolt. I didn't see I didn't see the one on the 286. Because, like, the, the, the game's a draw, except MTGO has a chess clock. So at one point, one of you is going to run out of time. Yep. This seems completely miserable. I mean, he did say that the, he said, and I quote on the tweet, this is the worst mirror I have ever played in MTG. This is my opponent conceding the match in game two after winning game one. The pri- He conceded the match. Holy shit. The primary win con is timing your opponent out. Uh, both players make it so make so many bodies plus life gain so much that winning in combat is rare. I love the deck, but this is lame. So, I mean... Yeah, it's also because of the dynamic of this deck is you have a bunch of angels, but they're like some of them because of metallic mimic. Some of them are going to be like randomly buffed. So you gain this board state where no one has the advantageous attack because blocking is like so much better because you can keep you can make all these blocks where your creature lives on one toughness and your opponent's creature is dead is dead. So even though you both have vigilance, neither of you is swinging. So there is no... I mean, in this case, he's at minus 80. But, like, a lot of times with decks like these, there's no attacking, so there's no blocking. There is just passing the turn until you get such an overwhelming board state that you can start swinging, and then your opponent has a land that says they can't lose the game. Yeah. And if you look at the clock on the screenshot... Fun. His opponent, who can see the match game two after being up game one, 
So they're about to go into game three, one, one. He has 11 minutes, 14 seconds left on this clock while the guy who posted it had 19 minutes. So if they got into the similar circumstance for game three, he was going to win due to clock, due to time. No, that's why his opponent, that's why his opponent scooped the match. Yeah. Because they know they knew they were going to time out because um, Giglio at this time just starts spamming F6 on his keyboard and he just constantly passes to his opponent. And if his opponent is doing the same thing, his opponent's going to run out of time before he does. You like basically need to have insane magic APM in passing the turn back as fast as possible, which is dumb. I mean, sometimes Geo works, I'm right? sorry, is that... But, there's a Righteous Valkyrie on board that is a 14-16, by the way. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Just a casual. 13 counters on it. And he also has... I mean, also fun thing to know about... Look at all the fucking angels. There's seven sevens. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. Also, you look at his opponent's graveyard... Your his opponent just never had a creature die in the entire game. I think there's one thing that probably was under a Skyclave apparition at some point, and that's it. Huh. Oh no, wait, there's one card in Exile, which is Book of Exalted Deeds. And then there's two collected company in his opponent's graveyard, and then the game just becomes a stall. So if you look to pick up this deck, know this, right? <laughs> You're gonna have some miserable matches because this deck is actually kind of popular, and this mirror is horrific. But Speaking more about the deck, again, I feel like this is a very exploitable deck, which always makes me wary of considering decks like this good. Right? There's going to be metas where this deck is good. We're going to have, even if this deck fades to non-existent right now, in like three months, someone could look at a meta and be like, man, it's time for Celestia Angels again. And they just randomly win a challenge. Yeah. Because no one is prepared anymore. Because, like, all the interaction is at sorcery speed, and nobody's playing Field of Ruin, so the lock is easy. And again, I think it's more about the lock than it is about the beatdown. Now, I don't know if that is actually true, but I feel like the strength of this deck is that it probably gains, like, a substantial amount of its wins by just locking people out of the game. If Book of Exalted Deeds didn't have, like, the second ability, I think this deck would just be kind of shit. Yeah. Because I don't think Book of Exalted Deeds is strong enough that it made this random beatdown deck actually good at beatdown, where it wouldn't have been good at it before. Because this whole, like, collected company into two Righteous Valkyrie thing already existed, and yeah, that line's crazy. We know. I've We've probably all seen it in Historic. But this is only... Deck number four out of 32 on the first challenge. We'll go a bit quicker as we go to the bottom. But I am very excited about the number five deck. Even though this list is, has a, some funky cards in it, it's a Bard class deck. And I am very happy to see so many people jump onto Bard class and having their takes on it. And it immediately has like this super interesting divide in how people built their Bard class decks. So it's a lot to read out, so I'm not going to go over all of it. But basically, these Bard class decks, they are up in two sort of camps. There is the, my Bard class goes to level two, and I'm going to be a mostly legendary creature, like Gruul aggro deck. And the, my Bard class goes up to three, and I'm going to be more of like a combo deck type of Bard class. And I, I 
like the third, the level three variety more because, like I mentioned before, even though I don't like Storm and Modern, I always randomly end up with Storm decks. So my Bard class deck was immediately drawn to being like, yeah, I'm going to make it go up to three and then play my whole deck. And the main place where if you look at these lists where I draw that line between this is a level two deck, this is a level three deck, is mostly if we see Xenagos the Reveler in this deck. Because Xenagos the Reveler, for people who don't know, I will quickly pull up one that does have it because this one doesn't. Um, the Reveler. Xenagos the Reveler, as we see in the, I'll quickly skip to the 13th place list, which is also Bard class deck, says it's a four mana planeswalker, two and gruel. So it's actually just two mana if you've got your Bard class leveled up. Legendary planeswalker, Xenagos, whatever. Uh, three starting loyalty, plus one. Add X mana in any combination of red or green, where X is the number of creatures you control. Now, once your Bard class is up to three, this is the card that gives you, like, the juice to play more and more and more and more spells in your turn. Because, obviously, if you don't have something that regains you mana, like Mox Amber or Xenagos, as you're going through your combo, you will brick a lot quicker. Whereas another big tell for the level 3-based version is if Burgi's in the deck... Because Burgi gives you that red mana that you can use to pay the colorless cost on a lot of these legends. So again, you end up playing Rada for free, Clothis for free, uh, Targnar, Netshu mana, Galia, Netshu mana, Zergo, Netshu mana, Ovia Pishiri, Netshu mana, Mox Amber now gives you two mana. So a lot of cards in your deck, and then you play like Domri Chaosbringer, which can refill your hand with creatures on top of what the bar class already does. And this is where we see that you're going to power through most of your deck basically in no time. And then you're hopefully going to have like a Ronus out and like a creature that can attack. You're going to have a ton of mana left, which you're all going to dump into Ronus on one creature and then just swing for game. That would be like some of the dream. I love this deck. I love Bard class. I mean, okay. Like, it's so cool, and you're probably really happy because uh, this was your number one card for AFR. Oh, yes. Also, one other big tell is if they run Mox Amber or not. Yes, because the more beatdown centered don't they? Sometimes they do, but they don't always run Mox Amber because obviously that card is a little bit of a brick if you're supposed to be an aggro deck. I like the Storm version more. Because I also have a place at a Mox Hammer still, and I would like to use them. <laughs> I would very much like to use them. Also, I don't own any, like, I've never actually sleeved up and put together a Gruel deck. All of my Gruel cards, like Stomping Grounds, uh, Crag Ground, yeah, they're in, they're in Jun decks. The superior combination. But this might pull me in that way. Um, I did like that this uh, number five deck randomly had Royal Scions in it. And I was like, you've got so few ways to get... Ah, Oath of Nyssa. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't know if Royal Scions is actually good in this deck, but I did find it was cute that this was randomly Teamer Bard class. And then there's four Mystical Dispute in the board. Yep. Well, let, let's hope you magically do have that blue mana. Oh, and I actually got a message from our editor. Um, 
So he says, doing a thing, I want to craft a budget deck because I find it fun and I want to highlight mechanics within sets. He sent me three pictures of uh, some decks. So I'm doing decks with budgets from a single set that highlight mechanics available in draft, like an optimized draft deck, basically. If I say Eldrain, I'm thinking Boros Knight, Food Mechanic, with Golgari, Azorius. Oh, he's doing exactly what I did for my kids at camp because he wanted to make these for his girlfriend. So I did the same thing with, with uh, guilds, with Guild Arantica. So I have limited decks, like 40 card limited decks, but I actually have them built like a constructed deck where you have more copies of cards, um, more synergies and stuff like that to kind of like get you into the idea of playing constructed. Um, he's doing the exact same thing. So he has a knight deck that has like four fervent champion, four of the uh, the, the sacrifice knight, the, the lord, uh, worthy knight, uh, and like and he's, he's just in Boros. Um, he has a food one that has cat, no oven, um, like giant beanstalk thing, or no, whatever that giant bean ed thing trail of crumbs <laughs> it's really cool giant bean ed thing <laughs> he has um a cool glitters deck all the glitters with ginger brood and so yeah this is really cool very cool i'll have to tell them he did a great job good job alex and that's not me talking to myself um but yeah, back to Pioneer. Um, bar class is super cool. Uh, I think it's a has the potential to be a super fucking disgustingly broken deck. Um, and it's really, it's just a really cool player to have in the format. Is it unbeatable? No, it's not. There, there are definitely ways to hate it out. Um, if this deck, if this deck doesn't draw bar class, it's not that good. Yeah, it's just like a worse gruel aggro deck. <laughs> um, so yeah. I wish there was more ways to, like, find a Bard class. Similarly to, like, um, Hammer Time. How, like, the new Hammer Time deck in Pioneer. Um, which we don't see really any in the top 32 for challenges, I don't think. Uh, at least I don't. Hey, you've got, what is it, Barbarian class? Or is it Fighter class? Which one? Fighter. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not in this one. We do see a Boros Agro deck at 15 in this challenge. Um, is there? Is there? I'm, I'm checking. Burn, 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 burn. No. But you go um, the uh, armory card, the two mana search tutor for a. Uh, yeah, open the yeah, armory. Open the armory and fighter class. So you have eight ways of tutoring now with the added benefit of fighter class just being able to like scale up, which honestly, the second two levels aren't that great. But, you know, it's another way to tutor. And hammer is a cool card. But I, I think. The classes are pretty easily just like overlooked to an extent. Like, yeah, these are cool, you know. Uh, Bard. Well, let's be honest, most of them are ass. Yeah. So. Bard is the best. Like, Wizard is pathetic. I think Warlock is terrible too. Druid is eh. I've seen it with Bolas's Citadel and Historic to be like a combo deck. Monk is kind of cool. Play a bunch of cards that make you play. Monk is kind of cool. So, like, Bard is good. A lot of people say Ranger is good. I I still remain unconvinced. I am in the camp that Ranger is good. I think Ranger it, okay, it makes it makes a body when it comes in. Fun. Makes a body when it comes in, which is fine. On it's on rate. It's a two two for two on rate by itself, okay? And then it has the ability of like Yeah, but on rate as a bear. Yes, that that's fine. What is the last time that we had playable bears? Uh like, it's on rate, but it's bad. Yeah, the, okay, but at the very least, it makes a body, right? And whenever you attack, you put a plus and plus one counter on a target attacking creature, so you can grow your shit. 
Um, level fours, you may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells at the top of your library. So it becomes a experimental frenzy or a realm walker esque for green, which type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Which like level three. Haven't you sunk like eight mana into this card at one point? At that point? Two, four. Yes. But I look at it as like separate turns. Like I, I think I think it's still pretty good. Um I I really think that a mono green aggro deck, if you're on a more of a budget and you don't want to play the Great Henge or buy the Great Henge. I think this is a good alternative to that. I also... Oh, yeah, for sure. I, right? But then I think it's a good budget card. True. I, I also think the... But it's not actually objectively a good card. Yeah, I think it's objectively a good card, Alex. In a in a budget deck, I'd say, like, yeah, it's, it's perfect for a budget deck. As you said, like, budget green hench? Like, yeah, dude, give me. I'm sure it's a house in fucking limited. Um, also, I don't know... I don't know what to think about Paladin class. Like, I think it could be good. The fact that it's one mana. Paladin class is terrible. It's one mana, though. This card is so bad. One mana. I, I don't get why people think this card is good. I, I don't understand it. Glorious Anthem has not been a good card for literally, like, two decades. This is one mana more for a Glorious Anthem, and the text doesn't matter because these decks die to sweepers, which are sorceries. So... I, I don't get what the point of this card is. I would almost say that if this card would tax sorceries, it would be better because your deck sucks against sweepers. It's like, oh no, my opponent can't counterspell my raise the alarm. And it's like, who cares, right? Oh no, they're not going to fatal push one of my seven secure the waste tokens. It's like, that's not the point. The point is, you're going to make a bunch of dirtly dudes and you're going to be like, oh, Get my glorious anthem, hit you for six. And your opponent's like, okay, cool. Anger of the gods, you lose. Yeah. That's the problem that these decks have. And Paladin class solves none of those problems. So I don't... I've seen a lot of people, they're like, oh yeah, this card's great. And it's like, why? I know people hate control, and it's really funny when you've got four of these, har har, and your opponent has to pay four more. Like, okay. I don't care. I'll just play Fatal Push in my turn. Can we make Rogue Class work? I'm rereading it. No. And I don't think it's as bad as we think it is. I originally shot on this card so hard. Like, this is just garbage. I'm disappointed. Okay, hear me out. You know the two-mana uh, Rogue that's like any other creature with power or toughness, one or less, cannot be blocked? Yeah, Tatsuku Mizawa. Yeah, I'm thinking a deck that's super low to the ground with creatures that can't be blocked with that card and this... <laughs> Of just and just like playing like fatal push thoughtsies and stuff like that. And then after spending nine mana, you can play random cards of your opponent's deck. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, look, you could you could just straight up Dude, never care you about can, the other levels. You can build you can build an entire deck around row class, or hear me out, Brad. There is this revolutionary creature that is about three years old at this point, and it does all of it by itself. Is it Thief of Sanity? Yes. Just play Thief of Sanity instead. Uh. It looks at three cards rather than one, and it costs three mana rather than nine. True. True. Now, I do remember when we were playing uh, we were playing the mirror. I was playing the mirror control and paper against you to test it. And then uh, we go to Cyborg, um, and we go to game two, and I just drop a Thief of Sanity. I'm giggling the entire time because I'm like, he's not ready for this card. And, I, and you're just like, oh, you asshole. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're constantly like, oh, I've got this deck. And it's like, 
<sighs> what is the tech? And I, I sided in. I could have kind of smelled it coming. It's like, oh yeah, it's of you. Them. Of course, it's gonna be Thief of Sanity. Yes, four of them. Is the card good? And it was no. like, what else is it good against? You basically were like, no, but fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's only good in the mirror. Only. Yeah, thief is not. Even then, it's medium. Man, if thief, how could we make a better thief of sanity? Oh nope. <laughs> You don't want a better Thief of Sanity? <laughs> but Alex... No, Thief of Sanity is a really strong card by itself. It's just not... It, it has, like... This card should be pretty easy to deal with because its effect, it, when it connects, it is ridiculous. So it should be hard to make it connect, right? Give this thing, like, Hexproof, and it's just, like, the best card ever. Give it Haste, it's incredible. This should be the typical... I, I like these cards a lot. It's just Mystical Dispute exists, so these kind of cards aren't very good anymore. Or we have more versatile removal spells like Eliminate, so these cards are less good less often. Or you can block them with a Shark Typhoon, right? A lot has happened. That makes Thief worse. But I really love, like, in that standard, you brought in Thief post board, and you could, like, punish people for being dirty control decks and boarding out other removal. In the format before, we did that with Glinsleeve Siphoner. And then your opponent, that became so common that people started to sideboard with those cards in mind. And then if you didn't bring them in, because you'd play with, like, non-known deck lists, and your opponent would, like, keep in... I remember in that standard format with Glinsleeve Siphoner, people would keep in Fatal Push because they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to keep in Fatal Push because they're going to bring in Glinsleaf Siphoner. And my sideboard didn't have him. And I would, like, look at my... My opponent would show at the end of the game and have, like, three Fatal Push in hand. It's like, this thing had no targets. It's like, I know. <laughs> that's the point. And that sideboarding, that's interesting. But I don't want Thief to be, like, a mainstay in the sideboard. It should be a meta call that destroys people if you make the right call. That's what's the cool thing about it. Let's make a Demir uh, tempo deck that's not rogues and play four Thief in the main as your top end. I mean, right meta. It'd be incredible. Because, like... And then your opponent plays a 3-mana 3-3 flyer, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> what about just Demir flyers? You play um, Lofty Denial as your counterspell. You play Thief of Sanity. What are some good 2-1 and drops that are flyers? I mean, the, the, the problem with that deck is that you're better off playing Obsession effects. And this is another problem with a card like Thief of Sanity, even though it's incredibly strong and I, it is a really good card. Generally, it's better to just draw cards from your deck because you know they're going to help you instead of trying to find good things in your opponent's deck. But why can't I do both? Because I would definitely play Curious Obsession in this Demir Tempo deck I'm thinking of. Because you can play a Simic deck with Curious Obsession, Keen Sense and Sea Dasher Octopus, and that gives you 12 curiosity effects, which is actually too many. Okay, but what if I didn't do that, and I played Demir, because I would also like to have access to Fatal Push and Thoughtseize? Okay, I don't want to play green at all, even though the prospect of having access to um, Assassin's Trophy and Abrupt Decay is kind of, kind of tasty. But no, no, no. We're sticking with Demir. I want this Thief of Sanity de uh, deck to work. What can I do? 
That isn't rogues. Oh, by the way, let me tell you, I've gone to some LGSs lately, and I've been playing Paper Pioneer with random people. And do you know what deck I have been testing extensively against random decks in Pioneer? It's Demir Rogues. Whoa. But not the Lurus Rogues. Chunky Rogues. Because I'm not playing Lurus. I'm playing four Brazen Borrower, three Nighthawk Scavenger, one Rankle, and one Zeroth Main. As an addition to your uh, your your one mana flash, your two your two mana flash lord, sounds cool. It has been way better than I thought it would be, because I was I was thinking like, yeah, I know the Luris version is gonna be way better to play like Wind Robber or whatever the other one drop flash, and like maybe even do Curious Obsession stuff, um, and the more low to the ground, that's probably way better. But I want to play Brazen Borrower because, again, I have a playset of Brazen Borrowers that are just like collecting dust because there's no deck to play them in right now. Oh, I, I love I love Brazen Borrower. I, I've been playing one in my control deck. Um, and, you know, if people want to watch the thing where I go through the Invitational, that card was like an all-star in some games. The um, The diversity of being able to deal with any type of permanent, especially when you're in Demir, and there's actually a lot of permanence type that you have a hard time dealing with. Um, despite being in the colors with Heroes Downfall, you don't always have access to it, so Planeswalkers can actually be like a pain in the butt. Um, you're, you can deal with artifacts, it can deal with enchantments. So just having this one card that can just deal with problem things is super sweet. Um, there's a lot of stuff that flies, so that can only block creatures with flying is totally okay. Like, you'd rather have that it could block anything, but, you know, being able to block creatures with flying, I mean, I used it as a, uh, I used it as a hero's downfall on a rankle. My opponent went turn four rankle, swing, and I was like, Kerp, sure, flash embrazen borrower, kill your rankle. Right? It's great. And also, actually having a clock in control decks is relevant. Yeah. Because you don't want people to top deck their way out of you crippling them. Hmm. Like, you don't want to give the other control deck the time to draw their thought distortion that sort of thing it's also good against thought distortion which is a card i was kind of keeping in mind when building my deck but yeah because it actually gives you a semblance of interaction outside of um which isn't a non-creature spell which is also nice yeah i think um yeah rogues have been really really impressive um like i was i saw a list doing the chunky route and they are doing no rankles at all in the 75 and they were going all in on like notion thief like one notion thief in the main another one or two in the side and like i tried Ooh. notion thief in the main i didn't like it um i have them in the side but i didn't enjoy notion thief i get it because it is a very specific card yeah and there it's 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 it destroys some matchups and it's worthless in others there i think there are too many matchups right now in pioneer where card advantage is not in the form of draw but rather in the form of look at X top cards or top X cards, I should say, and grab one like your Narsets, your Niv, um, things like that. And dig through time, like, right, like against uh, Phoenix, it's probably pretty, pretty good. It's a lot of draw spells in that deck. But against like traditional control decks, I mean, outside of cycling a Shark Typhoon or cycling a uh, Hieroglyphic Illumination, there's a lot of just like, Wow, look, grab a card. I mean, there's a lot of 
opts, cling to dusts, cycling sensors, cycling side. The great thing about Notion Thief, and that's why it's very good post board in some matchups, is you can. It is basically rule of law. Um, a rule of law with flash. That is the good thing about Notion Thief, because once it's on the battlefield, your opponent is just like, they're not going to cycle any of these cards away. Like, they know that. But it basically means that your opponent is forced to just play. They can they draw one card, and if it's if it's a draw spell, it's worthless. And if it's not, they only get to play that one spell. And that means that it becomes way easier to like lock people out of the game. And and that's the nice thing about Notion. Again, it's it, it's like a, and I'd say differently even. It's like a one sided rule of law. It's more like that than it is actual draw denial. And in a control mirror, one-sided rule of law is incredible. Yeah, I, I get that. That makes sense. But in some matchups, that means it's completely terrible because some decks don't give a shit about rule of law. And, you know, you play this game one against mono red aggro, <laughs> dice to chain whirler, dice to shock, trades with any card in the deck, like not good no bueno right if your four drop trades for a monastery swift spear except it sometimes doesn't even do that because of prowess it's not a good card well the um one of the guys i played against and i like it against lotus i really like it against lotus kind of more than damping sphere because tap them not being able to tap out for a pour over their pages early slows them down significantly so one of the guys I was playing against at an LGS, he played, what's the one that Coco plays? The actual, like, quote-unquote Coco deck on MTG Goldfish that's, like, trying to, like, prison you or tax you. You mean Celestia Company? Yeah. The, um, what's the fucking, the bird they play? The Archon. Archon of Ameria. Yeah. He brought that in against me when I was playing Rogues. He has that in the sideboard. And uh, it's like what you were saying, like, some decks just don't care about the rule of law thing. And, like, he played it. And I was like, it's a little annoying, but I can just kind of try and play around it. And eventually I just got my shit to stick because he couldn't counter it. I was drawing out his counters on his turn. Yeah, it, it's it's the same thing where people see me play Torrential Gear Hulk, Dig Through Time, and Magma Opus, and they bring in Rest in Peace. And it's like, especially out of slower decks, it's like, you think we're not going to get to eight mana, right? I will just cast this thing for full retail at one point, right? It's fine. I don't care right? Magma Opus can actually be cast from your hand, which seems like new information to some people. Also, like, Idea, uh, you can always discard it for treasure. And, oh no, my Gearhawk is a 6 mana. Yeah, that, and it's like, oh no, my Gearhawk is a 6 mana 5-6 flash now. Okay, it's still a 4-turn clock that I could flash in on your hand step. Like, not bad. Not great, but it'll do. <laughs> it'll do big. And you took, yeah, it'll do big. And you took turn 2 off against a control deck. Bad idea, buddy. Right? <laughs> For those so, listening, a better play against control deck by Alex is, is uh, would kill him. That, but if you really want to play graveyard uh, something, Soul Guide Lantern, way better. Yes, Soul Guide Lantern is really sweet. Um, speaking of a deck that should more often result in just killing your opponent, Mono Black Aggro. Um, I played against this a lot this Saturday. I think three out of my four matches are against Mono Black Aggro. Um, and this deck has randomly been, like, showing up again, even though some people claim, like, we don't know why, because this deck is bad, but it does keep performing, 
And it turns out Rangle's a really good card. Um, I had one game where my opponent went turn four Rankle, turn five Rankle, turn six Rankle, and that was very painful. I'll <laughs> give you that. I did not win that game. Um, Please stop. He's already dead. <laughs> like, and then I think, and any other game, I think he went like turn four Rankle, turn five Rankle, and then turn six. I was like, I kind of expected another Rankle, and he just like played a one drop. But it's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be disappointed right now. Um, but I'm not even going to tell people what cards are in this deck. We all know this. Um, I'll say Mana Base is more aggressive. It is the Immutavolt, Faceless Haven version with Snow-Covered Swamp, Snow, Castle Lockthwain, less of the grindy stuff, more of the aggro stuff. And I like that, uh, at least from my perspective. When I play a control deck, the, um, the hands where your opponent goes like turn one Thoughtseize, turn two Agonizing Remorse, those are actually the far more winnable sideboard games because they bring in all this hand attack. And it's like, but if your hand, your opening hand, is like a, like a Dread Wanderer and like three pieces of hand attack, that might not actually be a good hand because you want to go that like turn one knight, turn two, two one drops, and then you start playing the hand attack. Like those are the good draws. Because you need that aggro element to your mono black aggro draw. And in that way, like, I like the deck. I still think it's a good deck. Um, it's definitely still what I would consider sort of the safe, like, this deck is never awful type of deck. Because the only deck that I think is really, like, I mean, they even have tech for that with, like, Go Blank and that sort of thing. But, like, Niv is historically a really hard matchup for this deck because the moment they slam a niv the game's basically over but a lot of other matchups like it's kind of fine because you have that solid aggro draw and because knight of the ebon legion is one of the best one drops in the game ever oh it's ridiculous i love that card so much like <laughs> knight of the ebon legion is so good like this is potentially like the best one drop they've i i, I genuinely think this might be the best one drop they've ever printed in this game um maybe it's beaten by noble hierarch but that is about it such a good threat this card is insane yeah like it's good early good late <sighs> like it's a card you never want to see your opponent play right it is pretty much the only one drop where your opponent goes like turn seven night and you're like oh no yeah and it's like what one drop makes you say that aside from knight of the ebon legion i mean that's why this card doesn't have Castle Lockthwain. You're spending your mana on your manlands or your knight. Don't need it. Ooh, I kind of want the... Uh, ooh, ooh, this this gives me some chills. So, you know how sometimes you have, like, the uh, the random promos in other sets um, for, like, yeah. cards? So, Knight of the Evolution is one of those. It's in Theris Beyond Death, right? And they have... And you know what they do for the to differentiate that it's a promo? In a, in a they put like the magic symbol on it, right? Yeah, it's got the Planeswalker stamp. Alex, you can get foils of the Planeswalker stamped Knight of the Ebon Legions. And I'm just like, oh, yes. I would like that for my vampire deck, please. And they're like, uh, four bucks. Look at that. It's amazing what happens when a good card gets rotated out of standard. Yeah. Fuck. Eventually, though, it'll go right back up. Okay, a Knight of the Ebon Legion currently, if you look at this, it's 740 
for a playset mm-hmm. of this card. That is a steal. It's such a good... Okay, look. Like, they could have made this I don't a even mythic. own any... I, I don't even own a deck where I could put this in and I'm tempted to buy them. Because I know I'll play them at some point in my life. Guess I could put one in my vampire commander deck. Sorry, one of my friends just sent me a fucking Snapchat of uh, her in traffic, and this guy's fucking bumper had a sticker that says, I love guns and titties. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> hell yeah, brother, America! <laughs> you guys and your expressive bumper stickers. I see them on Reddit so often. Like, I saw a bumper sticker today with someone who just said, like, uh, love my Labrador. Yeah, like cool. And a picture of a dog. <laughs> yeah, there's so, and then there so was another those. sticker of it of another dog without text. And my girlfriend just walked by and it's like, guess they don't love that dog. <laughs> Which made me feel so bad for the dog. It's like, poor thing. If it could read, it would be very sad right now. Oh, I love that meme too. Anyway, let's hurry up a little bit because we're at seventh place in the fourth challenge, but we have obviously covered a lot of what we're going to see. So seventh, enigmatic fires. Eight. Jeskai Ascendancy. Oh, dude, I love this deck so much. It's not even Jeskai anymore. It is four colors. Well, it's always been four color Ascendancy, essentially, because you you want to you oh, yeah. play green. Four colors. Ascend- oh, yeah, because it runs Omnath. Yeah. Dude, we finally found yeah, a home for thing. Omnath. Silver Awakening. Fi- in the whole combo with Jeskai <laughs> Ascendancy, the whole combo with Jeskai <laughs> Ascendancy is, I, I know you laugh, which is, that's such an absurd thing to say, but Pioneer has been like, Ever since Uro's been gone and Three Fairies gone, like Omnath is just sad. Hasn't Omnath been a staple in Niv? Okay, hasn't it like always what been? What the in that fuck deck? ever? It's just a random value card in, in Niv, which you could you could show me any multicolor card in okay, Niv. Okay, what is what is it here? What is it here but a random value card? It's a four of. <laughs> <laughs> of a random value card okay look it just fits with the deck okay it makes more sense but yeah the whole combo is if you don't know the whole combo has always been having a really good mana dork which sylvan character is always the best one this was actually a standard deck as well because they existed in the same standard for a little bit before rotation um and jeskai sentence is like yeah you're gonna combo off with your deck or keep pumping your cards and it's it's really nice to uh to you know feed into your uh your uh, mana dorks in uh in modern people might know this deck with fate stitcher yeah which was a card that you could unearth for one green and it's a zombie wizard for blue and it says tap you may tap or untap another target permanent so this guy was basically a mana dork for one turn but it entered with haste which was obviously extremely relevant for ascendancies you can immediately go off but brad you're talking about having sylvan carried as a mana dork but what if all your lands are mana dorks yes Yes, we we love yes, exactly. we love Silver yes. Awakening. Seeing that as a card, it's so good. Um, I mean, look, it also features the best card in Magic right now, in expressive iteration. Expressive iteration? Yeah, I was still That's good. Still gonna tap my back a little bit on that one for my for my top five Strix Haven, where you and Adrian both like, eh, I guess, I guess. <laughs> and I, what fuck- do you mean? It was my honorable mention. Yeah, fuck, no, no, you, yeah, but you literally said, I guess it's good enough to be top five. You were still on the fence. I pulled the trigger. I said it was good enough. Me. Not you. With, like, you ended up just, like, stumbling into being correct. That was no, 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 no. I, okay, out of all my top five, I gave my longest 
actual like explanation for my cards on expressive iteration than anything else. I was way into that. The only thing I regret is not committing because I had that as my number one, but I'm like, maybe that's too ambitious. And I dropped it back. I didn't pull on Alex. I didn't go all in on my number one. <laughs> and like, this is either really wrong or really correct. So we got to, I, I went with the safe bet, but I was still right. All right. So to talk about this deck a little bit, um, we have, um, obviously, as we talked about, we have Jeskai Ascendancy, which for the record, um, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and you untap them. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you loot. So the idea is you've got Sylvan Awakening and all your lands become creatures. And now whenever you cast a spell, you can untap all your lands and they get bigger and you start looting. So you're very likely to chain non-creature spells into each other, or at least somewhat likely. Again, this deck doesn't have to pop off for like half an hour. If you have five lands and you make all of them six sixes by casting four non-creature spells you're there, right? Your, your, your opponent is more like, uh, most likely dead. And this deck has some other interesting inclusions. Now, it has Omnath because value. Because value, it has Ojutai, Dragonlord Ojutai, which has the interesting thing that as long as it's untapped, it has Hexproof. So even though you swing with it, get the Anticipate, just look at the top three, put a card in your hand, and it now loses that Hexproof, if your opponent would go to remove it, you cast any non-creature spell and your Ojutai untaps. And now it's hexproof again, so it fizzles the removal spell. So that's actually really sweet, also because that triggers on cast. So it's not like a blossoming defense that could be like, I don't know, dispelled or whatever, right? Because as part of Jeskai's Ascendancy's trigger, your Ojutai untaps. So even if your, I don't know, opt you're going to use to trigger this gets countered, your Ojutai is still untapped and it fills the removal spell. So that's really sweet. Uh, makes it pretty easy to protect that card. But again, therefore, it just shows up as a random piece of value, right? I initially saw this list. I saw Dragonlord Ojutai and I was like, what the hell is this? And then I looked further down and saw the Ascendancy. But there's some other cool inclusions in this deck. Um, Sylvan Awakening makes all your lands indestructible. So Fall of the Thran becomes a one-sided Armageddon, which is in the sideboard. That's really sweet. <laughs> it's, a, it's an expensive one, then, but it's really cool. Then it also has a card that I completely forgot about exists in Pioneer, and it's a Gainsay, which is one in a blue for an instant counter-target blue spell. I don't know why this isn't Jace's defeat, but or just Mystical Dispute. Because you might as well put Gainsay in because there is actually Jay's Wilder of Mysteries that is played in Lotus. Obviously super uncommon, but it's just straight better Gainsay. <laughs> it's a little bit random. Um, now, I think a funny thing here is I believe this deck was an innovation by someone who hadn't played Pioneer in a while. I could imagine, like, they hadn't played Pioneer in a while, but they had, like, this really great idea for a deck. And I think that's where this Jeskai Ascendancy deck came from, which could mean that this person completely forgot Jace's Defeats exists and just put Gainsay in. And now a whole bunch of people are just copy-pasting that list. So Gainsay stains in the sideboard, even though it should just be Jace's Defeat. It's also worth noting that there are three Mystical Disputes main. So why was this just not a fourth Mystical Dispute? <laughs> oh, wait, no, there is, a, there is a fourth Mystical Dispute in the sideboard. 
There is a fourth dispute <laughs> in the sideboard. So they just wanted more mystical disputes, basically. So they put a gain save. I guess so. Um, also, speaking of cards we forget all the time that are legal in Pioneer, Monastery Mentor is a one of in the sideboard. Isn't that card like banned in Vintage or something? Yeah. Or maybe it's Legacy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's banned somewhere. Very good card. I think a friend of mine played it in Legacy for a while. But um, that card's obviously really sweet. Basically, does the Ascendancy thing by itself, except the tokens don't have haste like your animated lands would. Now, so it is a little bit slower, but in some matchups, that's fine. So I've always considered this. I know Crew 3 early on in Pioneer's Life like did like one of those videos where like they play tested with us. They did like a Mardu ver version of uh, Mentor. Do you think, because we have Boros Aggro, which is essentially Featherless Feather. You go Gird for Battle. Um, you have your Clever Woman Answer. You, you have like your just ways of drawing through your deck, your, things like that. Um, if we went the Sans Luris route, would you go Feather or Mentor? Because Mentor seems like you get the value almost immediately um i mean i don't know like could you i think you go feather strictly for the interaction with reckless rage that's true like i think feather like because um in our invitational also we had boros feather featherless feather except feather was actually in the sideboard so it could switch to having feather instead of luris which i can imagine is typically a thing you do in a matchup where you abuse its interaction with Reckless Rage. Mm -hmm. That's very good. I don't think there's many other reasons to shy away from Luris. Even though I think Mentor is good, it is a bit slow. So I don't think it really makes a big difference. And Luris is just kind of overall good always. And is that basically three mana to draw an extra card, which you can do at random, which is just great value. Yeah. All right, so moving on from Just Guy Ascendancy, it looks like the rest of the challenge is uh, pretty straightforward because that's the end of our top eight, right? I'll just have a quick look through. Um, yeah, we have... so I'll just read out the rest. Yeah, go for it. Really? Uh, shall I do it? Okay, so ninth place is Is It Phoenix. Um, noteworthy things, they've pretty much all started playing Expressive Iteration. Um, you know, good friend of the podcast, uh, Ekeros keeps, if you follow his Twitter, he basically keeps saying, and I think he even mentioned it, on our cast together it's like we might have to do something about phoenix if everybody starts playing expressive iteration because the cards busted hey hold on i'd like to point out the first time he was on our podcast because he was switching to phoenix right that's when he first started playing it i'd like to raise my hand and say that i asked him point fucking blank why is phoenix not running expressive iteration and he said i don't know <laughs> we're trying it so i'd like to say hello Another trendsetter here on the Pioneer Perspective. You're welcome. This guy is going to ride his expressive iteration <laughs> call till the end of time. <laughs> so proud of it. Um, then the one after is Banned Spirits. Um, again, basically what you expect. We see Portable Holes show up in the sideboards. It's a cool include. Uh, Anigmatic Fires, Demir Control, uh, another Bar Class deck, Rectal's Pyromancer, uh, Featherless Feather, no feather in the board either. Um, another Bard class deck with Bergy. Um, another. F this is actually a. This is an Izzet Blitz deck. And it actually doesn't run Demilich. 17th place. And it forgoes being a Lurus deck just so it can play Bone Crusher Giant. And it can play Rampaging Frostal and Chandra on the board. 
obviously. Also, this couldn't be a lure stack without going into another color. So, juice not worth the squeeze here. Um, no way to, like, fiddle your way into being a Jeskai or a Grixis deck. So, just do that value train. Uh, Band Spirits again. Rakdos Pyromancer. Um, then, a deck we'll see a little bit in the other challenge, so we can cover it now. Esper Yorion again. Welcome back, buddy. With some good old, good old value engines, like Gonti, Lord of Luxury, also a rogue, also steals cards from your opponent. Basilica Bellhaunt, which people will probably remember from Standard. Uh, and then some other stuff we see. We see Skycliff Cleric, which is nice against aggro. Charming Prince, Yorion's in the main, Scarab God. Uh, Kaya, Ors of Usurper, Teferi, and then a couple of enchantments, not too many. Omen of the Sea, Oath of Gaia, uh, ECD. Esperioreal. We've seen this deck before. This definitely has some interesting takes, right? We see a few more creatures. So there is Aghanim's Awakening in this land base, which is nice. Imagine, imagine going Aghanim's Awakening for X equals five, getting a Charming Prince, an Elite Spellbinder, a Gonti, and a Yorion. Bouncing all your stuff, including bouncing Yorion with Scar Charming Prince. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! It just makes me happy thinking about it. It's like maybe I should build this. Any excuse to play Gonti is <laughs> is a reason I'll take. And we're playing the best. I'll, four take, mana it. Sweeper I'll take it. I'll take it. In Pioneer and Kaya's Wrath in the sideboard. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why. I mean, this is. I mean, I guess they're there's this 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 list is splashing blue. So that's why you're not going Supreme Verdict. Yeah, this this deck probably has a pretty easy time catching casting Kaya's Wrath, and it can gain you a couple life. Yeah, which is relevant in the matchups you're bringing this in, I suppose. I like it. Um, I like Charming Prince in my control decks <laughs> with Yorion. I'm a fan of it. It's just so cute. Then moving on, we've got some interesting things here. So we're seeing uh, Burn featuring Skullcrack in the main and Roiling Vortex in the side. Really not a fan of all that life gain running around, which. Is very sensible with the feather with the um angels yeah, because it does the tar yeah with the angels deck running around so pretty sensible to pack skull crack in the main deck not a bad burn spell by itself um i don't know what exactly they trimmed on and there are it looks like two other angelists no f yeah two other angelists in the top 32 um so what is the azorius list oh i'll have a We'll get there. Ooh. Um, Ooh. 22nd place, Hidden Strings. This is Lotus. 23rd place, Rakdos. 24th place, Mono Red Aggro. Going back to that chonky, chonky red. With uh, Bonecrusher Giant, Goblin Chain Boiler, Rampaging Ferocidon, Torbrand, Thane of Redfell, and Chamber Torch of Defiance. Yeah. And Ram and Raminap Ruin in the mana base. Yeah. Woo. Um, four Leyline of Combustion in the board. Ouch. <laughs> That'll hurt. Says the guy with four Fado pushing his deck. Um, then we've got another Angels deck, Rectal's Pyromancer, Burn. Then we see a Woo deck. It's cool. Which is just, it is, uh, it is Azorius Blink featuring the Book of Exalted Deeds with Mutavolt, both as a three of. So it's just a dirtly deck that potentially has that win condition. Look at the enchantments they're running. It has Faith's Fetters. And Silk Wrap. So it can actually... And Silk Wrap. Silk Wrap is... 
kind of strange because I don't get why you wouldn't just want baffling end. But I guess if you're going to blink it more often, you can like blink it out and give your opponent a creature you don't really care about anymore and then slap it on another creature where you would rather give them like back their Llanowar elf you got rid of early than give them that 3-3. Three, three. Uh, but overall, I don't know if Baffling End's just better, but it's cool to see Seal Crab. Um, again, Portable Hole to Agent of Treachery, which in this deck, you are just going to cast fair and square. Yeah. So this is like, this is a Panharmonicon Teleportation Circle deck without the cool cards being Panharmonicon and Teleportation Circle. Also no uh, Thassa, which I think is just, if you're in Azorius, you play that over Teleportation Circle because it's indestructible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um... Then we have another Angel's deck, Mono Black Aggro, Burn, and Burn. So that wraps up the Saturday challenge. I mean, it's kind of cool to see. Okay, I'm actually impressed that the uh, in the top 32, the worst record is four and two. So like everyone did fine. I think I think this was like an 80 person challenge or something. I think the Saturday challenge did pretty well. Yeah, uh, that well, this was strange because there was another challenge. I think earlier in the week. Might have been like a prelim or something on like Thursday or something or Tuesday. And I, I didn't notice what day it was because uh, I have summer holidays since this week. And I was watching Akaros' stream because he's like, oh, yeah, going live with the challenge, I think. And it didn't fire. And I was a bit disappointed. I was like, ah, oh, I think I, thought we were doing I, well, I think it was a right? prelim. Like cool, it, was, spicy it was a prelim that didn't challenge. Oh, prelim. Which and then I realized like, wait, it's like it's like a Tuesday. Yeah. Like. People are at work. <laughs> like, so, and then I saw that they challenged it really well on the weekend, and I was very happy about that. I think the Saturday, the Sunday challenge was pretty good too, which, as far as I know, is always the less popular one because people have stuff to do on Sundays, uh, family stuff, that sort of thing. But we're going to just run through that one again. I don't think much new shows up here, so this should be a pretty quick one. Oh, there's something. There's something a little new. There's something. Um, there is Rakdos in first place. Second place, there's something. It's mono white. Mono white legends blinking. It runs Priest of Ancient Lore because it needs card draw this badly. So let's talk about that card first because it's actually new. Um, Priest of Ancient Lore is three mana, two and a white, for a two-one dwarf cleric. When enters the battlefield. You gain a life, you draw a card. I did not have this on my bingo card for AFR cards to be played. Nope. <laughs> but look, here we are. 2021, this is the best card draw that White has. <laughs> <laughs> Commander Staple instantly for White. Command Commander Staple, arguably worse Elvis Visionary. Like, it's so baffling to me. You look at a card like Dusk Legion Zealot in black. It's one in a black for a 1-1. One, one. You draw a card, you lose a life. Color pie, Brad. Why doesn't why doesn't white just have a two mana one one that just does the opposite? You gain a life and draw a card. Because because black should have more access to card draw than white, which is why it costs you life. Like I don't I don't mind this as much. I think they can do a little bit better than Priest of Ancient Lore. Could have maybe been like a two two or something, but like card draw shouldn't be readily available to white. I know people hate me for saying this, but it's just, it is just what the color pie is, right? White has something, like, a, a very big part of white is that it has taxing effects, which is pretty much not a thing in other colors. I think white is pretty much bar, like, some weird cards, like, is it, like, melt or something in 
This will melt. But it's a card that put in Legacy, and it's one of the blue, and it says red spells cost two more to cast. Like, aside from, like, odd spells like that, white primarily taxes. The problem just is, is that especially Pioneer, white actually doesn't have any of its good taxing cards, a.k.a. Thalia. Yeah. Um, so I don't mind the fact that white doesn't get great card roll because it's just kind of what it does. But this I know because I knew this card even though I didn't expect it to be played, because Gavin tweeted about this, that they are experimenting with white getting more card draw and that and that they feel like this is like a nice way to do it. So expect more priests of ancient lore and potentially better priests of ancient lore in the future. So even though it's in one weird deck, the fact that we actually see this card being played is kind of a good sign for white's card draw in the future yeah also charming prince is scry 2 and scry 2 is basically the same value as drawing a card so deck also runs emercool i sweet and thalia's lancers yeah th- th- i mean search out legendaries yeah i mean i was just talking about this weird three drop but this deck is wild like j- just read me off some of the highlight cards brad Ooh, we'll be here a while all right so my personal favorite like i said is uh thalia's lancers which is for those of you who don't know is a card from eldrick moon um which is Three double white for a five mana four four human knight first strike. When Thalia's Lancers enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a legendary card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. Other legendary cards include uh, Tomic, which is the cool two uh, two mana two three uh, flying. Make sure that your lands can't do a thing. Um, lands on the battlefield can't. Uh, that's nice against Lotus. Yeah, it used to be a nice tech against Lotus. Uh, then you have uh, Gisela, the Broken Blade. No, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Bruna. Bruna. Yeah, no Bruna in the deck. Just, just her. Um, we got her. We got a Lyra. We have an Emrakul to search up. We have Elspeth's uh, Sun's Champion, which is you can search out a Planeswalker with Thalia's Lancers. It just says legendary card. Um, there's Ugin. Interestingly enough, that wasn't possible when Thalia's Lancers was printed because the legend rule was changed in Dominaria and that made all Planeswalkers legendary. Yes. So this card actually became better retroactively, which is kind of cool. Other legendaries include uh, Shadow Spear, which is a cool, it's a one of, but it's a cool little thing to get. Uh, and of course, we see our wonderful favorite card from AFR. The Book of Exalted Deeds is a four of again. And this deck is running four Faceless Haven, four Mutavolt. Uh, as a way to, uh, you know, play. There's also a one of Nykthos that is searchable with Thali's Lancers. Oh, and by the way, there's a four of Search for Glory, which is your three mana snow sorcery that you can uh, just search up for a legendary card, a saga card, or a snow card. Um, or snow permanent, I should say. And uh, you gain one life for each snow mana cast uh, for the spell, which, you know, the deck runs 25 snow-covered uh, planes. So you can gain three life, search for a thing. And for Faceless Haven. Yeah. Um, and of course... Which is also a thing you could do with this card. So yes. kind of nice to keep making your land drops in a deck that goes to a pretty high curve in white. And we, of course, see Portable uh, Hole, which is the new sweet remover, remover, <laughs> removal spell uh, for white. Uh, yeah, this deck is sweet. Really sweet. Um, some more legendary stuff in the sideboard. You have uh, uh, Redan, uh, the Snow Hate card... Gideon Ally of Zendikar. Um, i honestly surprised. Uh, keep in mind, you can search Elspeth Conquers Death with Search for Glory, because it can search for sagas. Yes, which is another thing to get removal. So not with Thalia's Lancers, but you can do it with Search for Glory, yep. which is kind of cool. So for a nice, cool eight mana, you can remove something. But, you know, 
When you got when you got the mana. Welcome to white, baby. Hey, we have Nykthos. I mean, for eight mana, you can remove something, but you got the rest of Alpha's Conquest death, right? The card does more than just remove something. Yes. Now, I want to pivot real quick, because this deck is super cool, right? But wonderful Pioneer player Claudio. Be ready to see this deck back. This was a league, not a challenge, because this was after the challenge. All right, I, I don't think they had time to play the challenge uh, this, this week. But Claudio is like, Hey, you guys remember Mono White back from Inverter Days? He's like, the menace is back. So I want you to be ready for this one. You're going to love playing against this deck. It's Yorian as the companion. Fourth, Raven Inspector, Charming Prince, Night of the White Orchid, two Loyal Warhound, the new Knight of the Wolf Orchid, which is the one uh, one in a white 3-1 dog vigilance. And there's a battlefield uh, if an opponent controls more lands than you. Search your library for a basic planes card. Put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Um, elite Spellbinder, three of those. Four Heliod, four Skyclave Apparition, four Arcanist Owl, four Karn the Great Creator to get that wonderful Karn Wishboard, two Amerius Call, three Portable Hole, two Maze Mind Tome, three Book of Exalted Deeds, one Baffling End, three Elspeth Conquers Death, and you have your wonderful wishboard. Are you excited to see this deck coming back? I've got the list in front of me. I just don't get it. What's there to get? The fuck is Heliod doing in this deck? Um, he chilling? He's he's just. I mean, look. I mean, I I guess you can activate Heliod, which can give you the three life, and then your book triggers. Like, well, I mean, I find it funny because Crew Three. I found a tweet, and Crew is easy to activate. Cause look. He, you have Arcanist Owl? Yeah, true. Okay, you've got an Arcanist Owl, and it's immediately a 5-5. Five five. Yeah. Yeah, okay, no, that makes sense. Helioth's just there to be a 5-5 five five in this case. Mm -hmm. um, funny, funny Crew 3 asks, like, no Tomic for the mirror? Because that Tomic actually also disables the uh, ability to target the Munivolt. Then he says, yeah, but I've got Karn, so they can't actually activate the book. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is pretty cool. Get I like that interaction a lot. Um, this, this is so Yeah, cool. I mean... I mean, this deck just looks unbelievably annoying. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, against. I hated, <laughs> I hated playing against Sun Gun, uh, only when it was the Karn variation. Back in Inverter days, when it was Mono White and they played Karn, I wanted to cry. Do you know why I wanted to cry when I saw Karn get dropped, uh, Alex? Because they always get Gold Pharaoh statue. <laughs> that was my experience with it. Okay, well, you're the control player. What was I playing at the time? Yes, Kethis. What can I activate with Kethis? So they just grab grit. Oh, Mox Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> just incidentally turns off my combo. Cool. Yeah, wanted to cry. I'm just like, this fucking sucks. When it was like the random beatdown plan for Mono White and like I could interact with Sun Gun because I had Fatal Pushes on the side and Thoughtseize as well. I was like, not a big deal. But when they dropped Karn, I was like, son of a bitch. I was so, I think, uh, wasn't it? And by the way, you just asked like, can we give Mono White better card draw? And then you're like, oh, by the way, Mono White might be back. And it's like, apparently it doesn't need it, does it? Not when you're playing a control variant, <laughs> like a pseudo control variant. I, I just, I think this is so cool. I think... If I remember... You want card advantage in white, put Legion's End in your beatdown deck. Uh, sorry, Legion's Landing in your beatdown deck. There you go. I, I do... Actually, put the white castle in, you're done. I do think... I think it was Claudio that first played Mono White featuring Karn. Like, that version during Inverter Days. I could be wrong, but I get that feeling. Um, but yeah, fucking Karn. Karn's great. I wasn't on Twitter at that point, so I have no idea. Oh, I've always been on Twitter. Much, uh... As much as my mental health just hates me for it. But just rapidly declines as this happens. Um, 
Wait, I accidentally closed. I mean, I'll give I'll give shit to like some of my students, like uh, usually the middle schoolers, because like you can kind of like give them that shit. Um, where I'm like, like if someone's like talking or like being like just being an annoying, interrupting student, and they're like the kind of student you can mess with, I'm just like, dude, I'm feeling my brain cells just dropping every time you you're speaking to me. Please, I know, I know you need the attention, but can you please not, <laughs> not right now. <laughs> Or like they'll talk and you're like, oh yeah, that's why you're here at the summer school. I get it now. <laughs> so continuing on with the challenge to Rabicus, I think we've already been on for a while. Yes. Nearly two hours. Um, so Demir Control in third place and basically like the deck we've seen before. Mono Black Aggro, then another Bar Class deck. Mono Green Devotion with the Voring Clax plan rather than the Karn plan, actually enabling you to have some semblance of a sideboard. Woo! And a 6-6 that turns all your Planeswalkers into unstoppable beasts, which is pretty cool. I mean, bringing in Garrick's Harbinger out of the side is always so good in this. Because, like, what's a matchup that we always said sucks for uh, uh, for uh, Mono Green Walkers? It's Mono Black. Fatal Push Thoughtseize. Yeah, feels pretty bad. But hey, when you have a card that says, I don't give a fuck what you do with your Fatal Push and Thoughtseize, you're like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, seven Niftalite, eight Enigmatic Fires, Niftalite, Band Spirits, Niftalite, Enigmatic Fires. I mean, again, there's probably something spicy in this Enigmatic Fires list that I am list I am missing, but I cannot read all of them. There's so many one-offs. Niftalite, then Angels, then Bard Class, Phoenix, Spirits, Angels, Enigmatic Fires, Mono Black Acro, Burn, 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 Baby, Burn. Uh, white green angels. Um, so white green angels, Niftalite, mono red aggro, which again is the chonky red version. I prefer chonky red so much over calling it mono red aggro. Yeah, uh, I guess it's not that chonky because it doesn't run Glorybringer in the side. Um, it's Glorybringer in the side usually. Uh, not in this one, sadly. Oh, that's depressing. Um, this again, the four leyline of combustion one. That's so funny. That's a lot of red devotion, by the way. Do you expect this? We see no card that uses it, but all of the mono red lists have four lava coils. Do you expect to see that change into like the burning hands or whatever from our AFR? I mean, they would have already been able to change it, so I don't see why it would change now. Like, I'm just, I don't know. Like, I feel like lava coil is like the main card to get big ass things out of the way. The the main card you want Burning Hands for, I think, is Elder Gargaroth, and that card doesn't see that much play. Mm. I think if Mono Green Devotion picks up Steam again somehow, uh, we would see more Burning Hands. But at the moment, I think Lava Coil suffices. Also because it actually works against more decks. Um, for example, Phoenix. True. Lava Coil is relevant against Phoenix, while this card also kills um, also kills Anna Crackling Drake. It kills a Sprite Dragon after it's grown a little bit. And with a Torbran out, it does actually kill Elder Gargaroth. True. True. And exiling is important. So Yes, definitely. Yeah, and especially for the Phoenix matchup, which is still one of the bigger matchups. Which is why you see two Magnus Rays on the side, too. Uh, one of the most played decks. Then we have Azori's Blink. Again, the same deck that we talked about before. This is Grixis. Then we see Grixis. Grixis Arcanist. Sweet. Yes. Uh, so again, Grixis with Dreadlord Arcanist, Jace Friends Prodigy, Kroxa, and Young Pyromancer. This is the 
Luris Grixis control ish like tap out control deck i mean it, it's definitely it's, it's essentially rakdos arcanist that just splashes blue for access to opt drown the lock and expressive iteration essentially and you play jace as and jace yeah. um so it's it is arcanist um with the added blue synergies which i mean yeah iteration is really good in this deck i know i keep saying it but it's really good it is i mean i will say my experience with expressive iteration has also been like this card is incredible in my um is it is it turbo rowan deck that i built after strixhaven i haven't touched it much but i do own the full deck in paper because i liked it so much um except like a couple of cards because i already owned play sets that i could be bothered to order copies five and six but cards good man yeah two, who knew two mana divination good card um then niftalite hidden strings which again is lotus well it's lotus ultimatum that's the difference it's lotus ultimatum yeah, yeah. oh is that what they call hidden yes strings? the other if, i mean they're basically all ultimatum decks now no because if you go if you look at um if it ever shows up actually saying lotus it says like lotus field it is the traditional lotus field deck with like more brawls or uh wolf uh hate wolf havens um as opposed to ultimatums ah, okay yeah then 31st place it's and soul boys yeah with black stuff of water deep four of and it's is it and soul with the thing that we brought up and you know we're not the only ones multiple people did is that if you go shrapnel blast you can easily run four black stuff because you'll just chuck them away to shrapnel blast yep now interestingly enough uh, aside from i guess these are pretty good in the sideboard there's two aether harvester and two bone crusher giant again this stopped running skilled animator so you can make it an Alluris deck except you can't because you're not white or black yeah um a couple of other interesting includes it runs one copy of den of the bugbear so it has that extra bit of oomph coming out of the mana base mm -hmm. even though it's two colors it's not running treasure vault as an additional land you can ensoul and it's just sticking to the dark steel citadel aside from that basically what you'd expect it has a stubborn denial in the main with good ways to enable it shrapnel blast wild slash the lot and then at the um 30 second place last but not least it's rectal spiromancer hooray we did it we're here Whew. notice the worst performing rectus list is the one that's not cutting down a pyromancer and uh no main deck uh uh go blanks worst performing one go blank is a good card and if you look at the top cards represented overall in uh, in this challenge, number nine is Book of Exalted Deeds. Uh, if we go back on the other challenge, let me see if it cracks the top ten there as well. The number no. uh, Book of Exalted Deeds does not crack on the other challenge. So Sunday, everyone's like, we're going to start playing Book of Exalted Deeds more. Um, and then maybe go from there. Yeah, so... And in both... Oh, God the sunday challenge the most played card is mystical dispute with 52 copies showing up in 59 percent of all decks with fatal push coming in second with 29 copies 31 percent of the decks and then the other day it was 47 percent mystical dispute at 41 copies and 28 percent for fatal push and 36 copies mystical dispute is uh played a lot so like fatal push often showing up as for more often showing up as a four off as dispute which is often a two or three off but mystical dispute is once again everywhere and i get 
the hap- the more I see this, the happier I get that I'm currently running overwhelming denial because it really catches people off guard in even more of a way than Void Shatter did. No, Void Shatter has the exile upside. So yeah, if you're running it for the trying to play around that, Void Shatter is also a very safe pick. But like Mystical Dispute is, I mean, we talked about this like way back when where we're sort of like what if you this was before teferi was banned i think we were like what if you could ban more when we had the inverter ban and i was like yeah please ban teferi and mystical dispute because i hate mystical dispute because it's a card that is good against itself and it encourages stuff like this to happen where we see like bard class decks going like the lightest blue splash and then just throwing three mystical dispute in the sideboard yeah like because the card is just so good but it's good against itself which i hate and especially because it is still a a bad mana leak which is a decent floor right i kind of wish mystical dispute would at least be like four mana and it would be reduced by three if it targeted a blue spell that would help a lot or that it just wouldn't exist just i i love the color hate cards that hate on other colors like as much as aether um aether gust is like an obnoxiously powerful card it is not a blue card that hates on blue cards so if there's a lot of good gruel decks running around your response as a gruel deck isn't to run more gruel stuff but it's to either go into Teamer or find a deck that can run Aethergust, which I think is so much like more interesting design and actually naturally lead like good color hate cards in other colors are great because they like naturally lead to a more like rotating metagame where cards show up that are actually able to run these good hate cards. When the deck that is currently the top deck is also the deck that can bring the hate card your meta doesn't change just the number of copies of this card in your sideboard goes up or we see jeskai ascendancy it's just like i'll just put three in the main even though some of the other popular decks are boros burn mono red aggro mono black aggro and green white angels because who cares mystical dispute is still mana league ready to get sad you ready well sure number one played card in standard Mystical Dispute, 52%. Number one played card in Pioneer, Mystical Dispute, 52%. Number one played card in Historic, Mystical Dispute, 46%. Number 10 played uh, Spell in Modern at 19% is Mystical Dispute. So it even cracks top 10 spells in Modern. Uh, Not overall because you have so many good creatures get played in Modern, like uh, uh, Ragavan, Monkey, uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler, um, that good stuff. And Bolt's always going to be number one played card in modern because it's bolt <laughs> yeah um but yeah it top it cracked top 10 in spells so mystical dispute is definitely uh seeing play a lot of places it's just not seeing play in legacy or vintage because why the fuck would stupid it stupid card <laughs> well actually let me see if it's voice let me see if it is in if you uh, want to bring your uh, uh i have never seen it in a legacy deck and i watch quite some legacy content because you've got pyroblast and Hydroblast and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, not Hydroblast, but you've got Pyroblast, Force of Negation, Force of Will, um, Spell Pierce if from about days. So, like, there's already so much good 
blue interaction that you don't really need mystical dispute. Yeah, yeah, there's nowhere to be found on the top fifty. Your an- your answer to mystical dis- to blue counter th- th- that's kind of the thing in legacy. Legacy actually has non-blue cards that are great against counter spells. So you just start running uh, defense grid, or I mean, they have veil, but screw that card. But like, obviously, they have veil. They have um, the card I, I just mentioned. Um, days. Whatever. Uh, days. Um, but the, anyway, so they have a lot of those. Cheaper card, Defense Grid. Uh, there was a card I saw in a reanimator deck. I didn't even know it existed. It was a green. It was a one green for a zero one flying. And it says after this card, when this card attacks or something like after this card has attacked, your opponent can no longer cast spells this turn. Which was just, I have never heard of that card, but it just silences your opponent in your second main phase every turn. Huh. So they are like, hey, I'm countered by blue decks. Let's play this green card. Let's play this red card, like Pyroblast. And again, don't give us defense grin and Pyroblast and that sort of crap. But like, I don't know. I, I would kind of advocate for a mystical dispute ban at this point. Without going into that conversation, because that would be way too long... Brad, are there any other cards from Adventures in the Forgotten Realm that have grabbed your attention at this point? Um, none that are seeing play yet. Um, pretty much the ones that are seeing play is going to be the Book of Exalted Deeds. We have not seen like any Demi-Lich at all. Um, I know we've seen a handful of uh, elves in, in uh, leagues uh, playing the new uh, Gaia's Cradle on a body, um, the Circle Druid or whatever. Hey. Uh, we haven't really seen much else in that regard haven't seen any of the planeswalkers pop up haven't seen any of the five uh the the cycle of dragons um that other random mythic cycle is the only one we've seen is really book of exalted deeds no book of vile darkness anything like that no goblins with hobgoblin lord uh no treasure stuff with zorn nothing with forsworn paladin no, uh, nothing with Dancing Sword, but I'm probably interested in trying Dancing Sword or something in like the uh, aside from what's it called? I just know it's, aside from Burning Hands, every card in my top five has already shown up this week. Nice, we've seen three out of the five man lands, so I would assume I would count that as a hit. Haven't seen Burning Hands, we've seen Black Staff, granted in one deck, we've seen Portable Home, we've seen Bard Class. So, this is like the first time that my tops of a set isn't like complete garbage, like two weeks in, and you're like, oh god, none of these were good. So, let's see. Um, mine, my top five, has had hits on three out of five so far. Um, I've seen, so number five was Blackstaff Waterdeep. That's a hit. Number four is Wish. Haven't seen that get hit yet. Number three was Moonbless Cleric. That's a hit. Two is Werewolf Pack Leader. That's a hit. I've seen it in Monogreen. We've seen that. Yeah. Um, and then number one is Demulich. Haven't seen it yet, but it's similar to my call back over in uh, Zenicar Rising, my number one. Um, or was it number two? Either way, uh, the, um, the Flash one that was played in the combo deck. The one that you got a play set of, and you're like, you mean the uh, the storm stormcaller, yeah. Seagate stormcaller, exactly. Uh, just like that, Demi, which is that kind of card that like will get better as the format gets older. More cards we get to kind of empower it, it goes on from there. Um, I said overrated was Book of Exalted Deeds, and it looks like I am uh, getting slapped around for that take. But hey, I'm not. I would still like you know people people could quote me on this one. I think that this deck is not here to stay the book of exalted deeds except where it randomly shows up in metas where 
the idea of putting this on a mute of vote randomly locks people out of the game. Yeah. Aside from that, I would say I don't think this is going to be like a mainstay staple like we see Niv, Mono Black, Spirits, those type of cards that are kind of always there and are kind of always good. I don't see this deck being that. It's more like, I mean, I use this example a lot when I talk about decks like this, but it's like Dredge in Modern. People aren't prepared. Like, eventually, we're going to learn what's the good tech, how do we attack this deck, uh, what decks naturally prey on this deck, etc., etc. And then once we've figured all of that out, this is going to be a deck that gets completely drilled into the ground, or at least potentially gets drilled into the ground by hate cards, and then people take out the hate cards as they no longer see the deck, then it randomly wins the tournament, and then the week after people are prepared, it heavily declines in play, wait a month, people take out the hate, it wins a tournament again, etc, etc, etc. I assume this deck is going to be that type of a cycle rather than a mainstay. Just wanted to uh, give you a heads up, Alex. Um, just tweeted by Claudia 14 minutes ago. Looking at decks that might be underexplored, I played some leagues with the old Abzan Rally deck. Felt pretty good, and 10-10 ten, ten, ten Fiend Artisan beats won many games. What are some other decks that people might have been sleeping on? Um, and his list is pretty cool. It's Abzan, so he runs um, Blister Pod, uh, Seder Wayfinder. Yeah, this this was the very typical list from yeah. when Abzan... Uh, Coco, uh, Absen, um Rally. Rally was good with the return to the ranks package too. This deck's super sweet. Yeah, yeah. Pioneers. This look. We're gonna wrap up now, but like Pioneers underexplored. We've seen it with Angels. We've seen it with these Rally lists. We've seen it with. I mean, Vampires really is like a deck that can perform. Um, the Jeskai Ascendancy bringing uh, four color Omnath back into the mix. Pioneer. Maybe it's time for Zombie Rally again, boys. Yeah. I think Zombie Rally could be legit, and you can you can try shoving in that combo with um, the Shambling Ghast or whatever. Liliana and Shamble Geist. Yeah, super cool. Let me actually get my Shambling Ghast so at any time I feel like I build it a sec, because this this is like a that's like a common right. Yeah, probably like a penny. But hey, reminders out the door. Well, actually, yep. I want to quickly um, do a little bit of mailbag. Sure. Just because we have two things to quickly mention. So, first of all, because it's been almost a month, but with AFR release and then the Angry episode, and then because of that we missed out on the recording, um, we haven't been able to go into this. We have someone on our Discord um, by the name of Bridger also an elk which i think is the joke that goes on in the crew 3 discord right where a lot of people still have elk in their name because of oko yeah um basically talked about a while ago we covered the green white um company deck and it was the episode where we had the idea of like hey is collected company a bad card or not obviously it's not um or and the great hand the famous great hand rand and this person said well they've obeyed the deck a lot um and they actually feel like um, that the list should probably drop the Great Hench. And at this point, these lists no longer do. Yep. So I wanted to give them the quick shout out. First of all, nice prediction. And second of all, the mailbag is being read. It's just, it does trickle in slowly. So sometimes we kind of just forget because we go on for tangents that are too long. Mm -hmm. uh, then Sir Epic pops around with an article written by someone by the name of Humberto on mtg.cardsrealm.com and it's an article that was shared ar around it quite a bit and it was called the Pion uh, the pioneer's dilemma and how to fix it basically responding to like this pioneer is dead thing blah 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 
um, like the Pioneer's Dead meme, um, going into some ideas of like how to fix Pioneer, what is broken about Pioneer. Now, at this time when this article was written, this article was written on the 25th of June, at least published at that point, it probably took a while to write because it is a very lengthy article. Um, I talked about it on our Discord, and I was basically like, there's some nice things in this, but I hate the language of this broken, fix, dilemma, blah, blah, blah. Because, like, that's just not the case, and we had it on our angry episode with uh, Ruckman and Ekros. We already covered a lot of this, so I'm not going to go into too many details. Because, again, it says things like, what's wrong with Pioneer, and how to fix this, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just a type of language that I just dislike, uh, because I've seen it way too much pop up in Discord, where people are talking about fixing Pioneer, where it's like, don't need to fix what's broken. Anyway, they do give a great suggestion as to how we should get people to care about Pioneer again. And one that I think is really interesting is the idea of Pioneer Masters. And obviously, people are now going to be like, yeah, but we weren't going to get Pioneer Masters on Arena, it's removed, blah, blah, blah. That's not what this person is talking about. They are talking Pioneer Masters like modern Masters in paper. Yeah. So this gives us the opportunity. So this is great for multiple reasons. First of all, it gives us the opportunity to reprint random staples that are really expensive. Think of Sorin. Think of Resplendent Angel we talked about today. Uh, think of Mox Amber. Right, just obviously a bunch of mythics. These cards that are like ridiculously expensive. Uh, this is a good place to give us another excuse to reprint Shocklands, which is always good. Right, the cheaper the Shocklands, the better. We can reprint the Triomes that we've only had once. Uh, we could maybe reprint Companions. I don't know. Like, there's there's obviously a good opportunity for reprints, as a master set always is. But it's also the type of set that gets people to draft. Because generally, master sets are really well-received as draft sets, at least as far as I know. Because there's often a lot of thought that goes into the draft set. Because they can very easily think like, okay, we're just not going to reprint this card because it makes for an awful draft. So they make a very good hand-tailored draft experience. So it gets people to go to the LGS, which is, again, very important because Pioneer is a very paper-based format. So that's a good thing about it. It gives reprints, which is good. And... It gets people, it piques people's interests in Pioneer. Because I know, I know of people who've done this, and I'm sure plenty of people know examples of this or done this themselves. They go to a draft, pull an awesome card, have an amazing time playing it in the draft, and are like, man, I wish I could play this card and construct it. And if they find cool cards in their Pioneer Masters draft, they're like, man, I want to be able to play this in paper which you can do in Pioneer, because we've put cool staples in this, right? That are Pioneer staples that you can now start building a Pioneer deck with, right? And that is a great idea to get people into the format. So, like, forget about Pioneer Masters on Arena. Uh, obviously, do I wish they would still make it, and I hope it's still coming, and I do hold out some hope. But as Ekeros also pointed out, Pioneer doesn't need Arena. It would just be a good thing. What Pioneer does need is people playing this in paper. And this would be a great way to do it. So it's kind of straight crazy that it's like, it feels like such a good idea, which is just recycling a concept that we've been doing forever, which is Modern Masters, which they then randomly discontinued for some reason. But Wizards is known for discontinuing things and then bringing them back. So who cares, really? Just do this. I thought it was a good idea. 
And then the last thing is lapses. He literally just tagged me at Alex with love from the past, smashed the smithereens. Uh, I believe I started off with this story at the start of the angry episode where I was playing against him and he was basically on Ravnica Mono Red with um, Experimental Frenzy. And I flashed in a Gear Hulk and the top card of his deck was Smash the Smithereens, which meant he could kill my Gear Hulk and continue to burn me out. So feels bad and screw you for tagging me and reminding me of that. <laughs> anyway, now we can actually get to the wrap up, Brad. All right, reminders out the door. So first things first, I want to thank everyone who listened to our most recent episode. Well, at the time of you listening to this recording, it's not the most recent episode. It's the one prior to that, the Angry Cast about the uh, state of the game update with Pioneer on Arena with Ruckman and uh, Ekros. You guys respond to it great. Um, I've seen, I've gotten a lot of feedback on the episode. I'm sure Alex has as well in terms of like people agreeing with things that have been said and stuff like that. And it's a, it's a nice, well thought episode. Wasn't as angry as we anticipated going into it because we all cooled down a teeny bit because it was about three days after the news. So, you know, which I think was good. We wanted it to be, you know, a more uplifting episode. Uh, another thing I want to say is, uh, in regards to that episode, in addition to it, I mentioned that I was working on a song that came out for Alex's band, Reclaim the Throne. Um, the feedback for that's been pretty cool. I've gotten a lot of messages from friends, family, and random people um, on like Discord and stuff like that that like got to listen to the song. Even people that don't like metal, they like it. Uh, as of right now, the song has gone from... It's, it is now the top listen song for Reclaim the Throne's discography uh, for both Apple Music and uh, Spotify, which is really cool their monthly listeners has doubled. So like it's, it's really, it's, it's, it, it makes me feel good that people are liking the song because I, all I did was just yell on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Justin and uh, Alex are, are both amazing people and uh, they're really good at what they do. So they, they definitely deserve more recognition. So I'm, I'm happy for them. But anyway, we are the official podcast of the Playaway Discord server. We are sponsored by MTG Matchmaker. If you want to go find some, you know, paper magic games on webcam, but it's not within your own Discord community, you don't want to clog up your Discord with like 20 different communities and retain your own, use MTG Matchmaker. Playaway is actually using it as well. There is a channel to be, to be able to find public games using MTG Matchmaker. It is wonderful, and they are a wonderful tool to use. We do have social medias and Twitter is available. You can go ahead and check me out at Bradsifer on pretty much everything. Alex, you can be found on... At Disciple of Bolos. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, and that's, for the most part, it. Oh yeah, by the way, we have Ink Gaming merch. Both Playaway and Pioneer Perspective, Playmats, things like that. Definitely check it out. There are two links available in the description below. The first one is going to be to the official store for the Pioneer Perspective, where you can get our exact merch. The second one is actually going to be our affiliate link to if you actually find some cool playmats that are not for the Pioneer Perspective or Playaway Discord server, but you still want to get them anyway and support us, use that link to check out, and we'll still get a little bit of help uh, and you know proceeds support our uh, cast and what we do. We love you. We thank you for your support through every medium there is. And you mean a lot to us, and we do this every week because, uh, you know, we like talking, but it's nice to have people, you know, give us feedback. Yes. <laughs> We're vain, in a way. Well, a little bit. You need to be a little bit, right? You need to be able to like listening to your own voice, which, I mean, I don't super, but enough to want to make a podcast. Yeah. You need to have that level of vanity where you think, like, you know what, when I, when I put my thoughts out on the internet, people might actually be interested. Same. Because otherwise, how, why the hell are you doing this? I agree. But with that, thank you so much. Hopefully you'll hear us again next week. And bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.